This is Professor Raymond Noby, Department of Ancient History, log entry number two. I believe I have made a significant find in the castle of Cantor. Having journeyed there with my wife, Henrietta, my daughter, Annie, and associate professor, Ed Gettler. It was in the rear chamber of the castle. We stumbled upon something remarkable. Once again, yes, the same shit yes every week. But I'll indulge you, you creepy English tart. I'm here for my weekly stash of teddy mags, my favorite taco bar in the whole wide world, Toblerone, and my lotto tickets. Poop on a shingle! I have one! On this episode, hosts Derek Carey, Andrew Shearer, and Mark the Movie Man each give their top five list of films for the year 2013. No genres off limits. No retreat, no surrender. Strike hard, strike fast, no mercy, sir. To keep up to date with the various projects of Derek Carey and Rabbit Child Films, follow him on Facebook and Twitter. Also, follow Astro Radio Z on Facebook and the brand spanking new Tumblr page where you can find all the new episodes and the selection of some of the best classic Astro Radio Z shows of the past. Now, on with the show. Welcome to another episode of Astro Radio Z. I'm your host, Derek Carey. With me, as always, is Andrew Shearer of Gonzorific Films and Mark the Movie Man. So tonight, <laughs> we're going to be giving you our top five best films of 2013. Let's talk about some great films. Why only the good stuff? Earlier this year, when Corey and I started regularly hosting Astro Radio Z, we kind of started our own little credo or mantra that we weren't going to sit and uh, celebrate awful films, that we kind of wanted to just celebrate the good stuff. Um, yeah, we're going to talk about bad films occasionally here and there, but we kind of wanted to just highlight and showcase and talk about good stuff, because why do you want to just shit all over everything? <laughs> What's the point? There's no point in that. So tonight we're going to talk about some great stuff. Let's get a little update and say hello to everybody. Andrew, how you doing, my friend? Hey, how you living? What? How you living? What? You're living, living color. color in the city. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm straight, man. I'm, I'm a, I, I got a little uh, upper respiratory infection, so I'm going to be on a little cold medicine later. So I wanted to do this while I'm still frosty, if you know what I mean. Thanks, fella. I'm just uh, I'm 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 honored to be part of the elite chosen for this year's year-end top five show for you, man. I was really really touched by that because I you know I've only recently been doing this stuff with you guys, so I'm 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 not at Mark level necessarily. Um, <laughs> no one is. <laughs> no. I know no one really is. Yeah. <laughs> 
but I'm happy to be in the in the presence. You know what I'm saying? So thank you. Hey, no problem, man. Anytime. Uh, so Mark the Movie Man, man, yes, and the legend. How are you doing, my friend? Oh, doing well. It's the holiday season. Very busy, but um, doing well. Watching some good stuff. Watching some holiday horror for the. We live film stuff, so bringing some interesting films to the masses. So. Very nice. Did you <laughs> did you go sit on Santa's lap and get your picture taken yet? No, Santa sat on my lap. Ooh. <laughs> See, that's how Mark rolls. That's how he that's rolls. That's how I roll. Well, you know, he always, you know, you're usually the one opening the package. I figure, let Santa open this package. Oh, so. Jesus Christ, man. Why did, why did I just allow that to happen? Why did I just let that roll into my lap? <laughs> you... You just opened the door. You you, you had to mention you had to mention Santa and laugh. That's your own fault. Yeah, I guess. I, I, I guess so. Hi, let's let's go ahead and let's start this off. What we're gonna do is let's do five films each, and we'll kind of do a round table like we always do. We'll start. There's my at least my list. I don't know how your guys' lists are gonna be or in no particular order. They're just yeah. five things that I really liked. We'll go from like fifth then the fourth, then the third, and, and so on and so forth. Let's start out with number five, Mark the Movie Man. What was your number five pick oh, for this year? That, that's going to be a tough one. Um, I'm going to throw it out. I know it was wide release, but uh, I enjoyed it a lot, and it was the Catching Fire sequel to The Hunger Games, uh, and I, I'm throwing it out there. I know it's mass-produced, mass-media, but from what they did with the first one, this one was just so much better. I mean, it, it even though it was PG-13, the, the director that they got to do this directed uh, Game of Thrones Season 3, okay? And if anyone watched Game of Thrones Season 3, they know there's some dark shit, some crazy shit happening there. And he does really well with this material. He brings it the darker tone we were looking for in the first one. He pulls a lot of stuff I didn't think he would. And overall, just everybody's performance better, written better, it, it's one of those rare sequels uh, that was a lot better than the first one, and it actually made me want to see the third one because he's doing that one too, uh, in two parts. But um, God, I, I hate that. Why is everybody doing that now? It just seems like such a cheap ploy to take these final installments because they can't just hang on to one film. They got to yeah. split all these fucking films up into two films. Just Can I speculate as to why that is happening? Yes, please. <laughs> Twilight? Um, I, I went to see the uh, first Hunger Games with mm-hmm. a group of people that were all fans of the book. Since I can't, uh, since I only read nonfiction, I wasn't familiar with it. And those fuckers, <laughs> I love them. I love them, but they want everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. From the book. Mm-hmm. In the movies, as though books and movies are the same thing. Yeah, see, and I read yeah. I read the book before I watched the first film, and uh, so I could get the background because I wasn't familiar with it at all. I'm like, what the hell? And I watched it, and it was fairly, you know, they they were they fairly jive together, but the film really did uh, take some liberties. So when the second one came around, I decided to not read the second book once because one because it's reading and I'm a movie guy uh, <laughs> those words, damn books I don't like the words words burn you know my, too many words of this my my 13 year old can read a book in like two days and it takes me three months so yeah, no. <laughs> but uh, I did, went into this one because I knew they had diverged from the first one so I knew this one okay this is going to be different and I loved it you know and I 
the two parts in the third one, you know, I can take or leave, but I really just liked the director and how he handled it and the fact that it was a sequel that was a lot better than the first one. Uh, just because I think the director it showed the what you can do when you have the proper director on the project and when you don't have the proper director on a project. Um, I think it's a really prime example of it because the two films are completely different in tone and the second one is definitely what you're looking for considering the subject matter. So, yeah, I really, I just, I enjoyed it. I was surprised when I went to see it. I wasn't expecting much and I was on the edge of my seat going, wow, that was damn good, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. I don't, I haven't seen the first one, and yeah, sue me. I was one of those hipsters that uh, cried <laughs> Battle Royale, so I never went and saw it. But uh, That's where everyone... I was coming from, too, and I actually uh, ended up really loving it, and I was the first one to go like, fuck you, Battle Royale, but I ended up, <laughs> yeah. I thought it was pretty solid, actually. Everyone yeah, keeps telling me that, so it's on Netflix now, so I may check it out, but yeah. uh, I keep hearing everyone tells me that the second one's super good. Yeah, I mean, the first one wasn't as dark as you liked it, but I'll agree with, you know, I'll say, too, it was a solid film. I enjoyed it, too, so, you know, it, but uh, definitely the second one was more of an improvement, so cool. there you go. That, yeah. that's, it's always good to hear that a, a series takes an upturn and, instead of just gets mm -hmm. progressively shittier and shittier. So, awesome. <laughs> Twilight. Mark the Movie Man is uh, Hunger Games 2, Catching Fire. Mr. Gonzarific, what is your number five? Uh, my number five uh, for 2013 is Evil Dead. Uh-oh, look out. <laughs> I'm no. not saying anything. I'm letting him, I'm letting him do his thing. I, no, I, I told you, this is nothing but positivity tonight. I'm not yeah. going to be Mr. Troll tonight. No, trust me. I, I considered not... I considered Considered lying and not having that one as my number five. But here's the deal. I'm a journalist, so my list is going to come out, and Derek rather actually listens to my show, so he's eventually going to hear it on there. <laughs> no, I have already heard your, your, your expoundings on the Evil Dead, and you already know what my feelings are, so yeah. to regurgitate that conversation is pointless. No, but for, for Astro Radio Z listeners, I will just say that uh, you know everyone's relationship with Evil Dead films is different. Everybody has different things that they would want out of a new Evil Dead movie, and for me... Um, I was a kid, I came into Evil Dead 2 thinking it was the best movie I'd ever seen, but as I got older, um, uh, Army of Darkness came out and I was felt extremely ripped off by what is a children's movie. And uh, as I got even older, I grew to really love Evil Dead 1 the most um, as a horror film and as an achievement in low-budget filmmaking, and I grew to see the sequels as being some kind of I don't know, they're just like these weird remakes slash comedies and it got mm. less and less away from what I felt like Evil Dead was and again, this is just my own uh, relationship with that with that story but um, to, for, 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 me, for me, Evil Dead that they, that, uh, for 2013 was the closest to another Evil Dead movie that they had even given us and I think as far as to only briefly address the... Uh, the response that I saw, the negative response that I saw, I think the worst thing I saw was um, some of the fans calling Bruce Campbell uh, a money-grubbing asshole and calling um, <laughs> Sam Raimi a hack. And I was like, these guys That's are your bullshit. heroes, you know? I mean, say what you want about this movie, um, but those guys made this. Those guys signed off on this. This was their thing. This wasn't something they just handed to somebody. They They were involved in it heavily, so, you know... Um, I kind of was like, 
kind of glad at a point that they just went ahead and owned it and said, fuck Bruce Campbell and fuck Sam Raimi because it is their movie. When all is said and done, you know, it's not like, you know, I remember when uh, they remade Last House on the Left and then they remade Nightmare on Elm Street and Wes Craven was all pissed because they wouldn't let him into the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, but he like shepherded Last House on the Left remake. I thought Last House on the Left was an inferior movie compared to Nightmare on Elm Street when the oh, yeah. remakes were made, and I was just like, so Wes, did you sign off on that microwave scene? Or <laughs> And he and his son wrote that sequel to Hills Have Eyes, and that was really oh. balls. So that anyway, was that was my, my number five, and the reason why I ended up on my number five list uh, really is not just that I enjoyed it a lot, but that... Um, I have rewatched it more times than any other DVD purchase that I've made wow. this year. I will. I will be uh, honest. I've been waiting for it to drop to like one dollar or two dollar level <laughs> on DVD to revisit it because I always, ultimately, with something that I have that much of a knee jerk reaction to, I always go back to those films and reassess, especially something that is as close to me as The Evil Dead. Um, it'd be hard for any filmmaker of our generation to say that it didn't af- it affect them in some way, shape, oh, or was, form growing up. It was up. the most uh, anticipated horror movie of the year. You know, love it or hate it, it was the big one that everybody was really waiting on in 2013. Absolutely. And, uh, I was just like, well, I really kind of accepted it into the canon of the series. I'm like, well, if they're all going to be basically remakes of each other and adding more to the story, I didn't really see any any different approach with this one. There's just another retelling the basic same story and then other stuff stuck to it and it was an actual horror movie as opposed to a cartoon like part two was or a children's movie like part three was. So that was just my own kind of take on it. You know, 12 year old mm-hmm. Andrew probably would have been like, where's Bruce Campbell? Where's the laughing moose? Where's the, you know, but I was like, Can you, are you really going to go there again? You can't touch Evil Dead 2. You know? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, and, and, you know, I was like, if you want comedic Raimi, drag me to hell as your basic Evil Dead. Mm-hmm. You know? Absolutely. I, and yeah. I enjoyed I enjoyed that one, so. <laughs> Most people yeah. didn't. I like drag me to hell. I don't oh, care. Oh, God, with old lady puking into it. her face. Yeah, I, I know, was, right? And, she, and she's kicking her own ass in the kitchen just like Evil Dead 2, you know? It's, the hatred for drag me to hell is so misguided. I don't. I never understood that one. I understand the Evil Dead because I may be part of that crowd, but I mean, there's different like standpoints from just being a film fan of you know an age that grew up with that film into what this is. Or just like a totally different thing than what was projected on Drag Me to Hell, which I thought Drag Me to Hell was a hell of a lot of fun. I oh, really God. like that. Film. You know, you, it's like you get the Sam Raimi back that you've been missing for all these years, and then you want to shit on it. I, I you know. Well, well, that's what I loved about it was the fact that it was um, more classic Sam Raimi, and you know, it got widescreen because Sam had made the Spider-Man films. And when I was watching it, I'm like, wow, I can't believe this made it to the big screen wide release because you know I'm watching it going, this isn't going to be for most of your modern horror masses. They're going to be expecting something. A lot different, while the rest of us who know Raimi's original stuff went, all right, <laughs> you got an old lady puking in her face. You know? Oh, God, yeah, and the blood yeah. coming out and the bank yeah. and everything. I think the where I'll leave the Evil Dead conversation and let, sure. let us continue with the list is that, yeah. uh, you know, um, you got to kind of put your feelings as a fan aside and, and put your feelings as a filmmaker kind of in the front seat and look at it as, um, 
the guy got an opportunity. The guys got an opportunity to go back to the you know the old shit that they did where they had no money and they're sleeping in the floor and washing their contacts out and coffee and get to do that movie again and not have to be the one in the makeup not have to be the one on the set <laughs> and just to call all the shots shell out all that money and see it done you know in it with modern stuff and but you know with the practical effects still yeah. but um to to do that it's like the filmmaker honestly I think I may have told you I remade one of my old movies yeah, I had like better equipment, better stuff, and I was like, "Why did I do this?" Like, because it was just it was vindicating experience, you know. It's like you can close it forever. That whole thing, you can kind of just go, "There we go, I I win," you know. Yeah. So I I I feel like that, you know, I feel like it was a it was a kind of an I win for those guys, and I enjoyed seeing them bask in the in that kind of success with having pulled it off. If nothing else, it was really neat. I am a, I remain a fan of those guys. I've always been an unabashed Sam Raimi fan and Bruce Campbell fan, and maybe that's just the fanboy in me. I've always been. People seem to really dog on them. I, I think, and this is, I don't want to drag on too much about this because I could go on forever about <laughs> Sam Raimi, Raimi love, but um, I am just downright shocked by the amount of hatred his Spider-Man series gets from, from genre fans. It's just like... Spider-Man 2 is the shit, and if you don't think that Dr. Octopus scene is an Evil Dead scene, you're nuts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Every one of those films, and I will say I do like number three. I love number three. I love all three of those films. I think they're all immensely fun, um, not only as a Spider-Man fan from when I was a little guy, but as a Sam Raimi fan. I think those films are a hell of a lot of fun. The only film I can say that I don't like of his was that Wizard of Oz. Well, it's it's weird when I watched that, you know, and that one made Time Magazine's worst of the year list. Only God Forgives was also. Um, I think that um, really it's like at a point where like we have to accept the kind of filmmaker that Sam Raimi kind of always wanted to be. He yeah. didn't want to make horror movies. Yeah. Sorry, he didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. That's 100 percent true, and that's why the Evil Dead turned into the what it ultimately turned into. I personally think Evil Dead Two is one of the top five films ever made. Period. Um, just that's my own personal opinion. But Evil Dead number five on uh, Mr. Andrew Shearer's list. Okay, so my number five is a film that you know it can it can be said that it was released this year. It, it certainly wasn't entirely made this year, but it was Astron 6's Manborg. I am a huge fan of Astron 6. I think uh, Father's Day is an amazing film. I think all of their shorts are so on point. They're so funny. They're so intelligent. And they're so well made that it's almost impossible for me not to enjoy what's going on. And to, and to think that it's made by like the director of these films literally is just turning 20 and in his early 20s, is just mind-boggling. Well, is he that young? He is very young. Yes, he is oh, very, wow. very, very young. I didn't um, the realize the, you were that. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine anyone that listens to my show doesn't know what Manborg is. <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of the over, you know, low-budget, uh, after-effects-heavy uh, movies. There's, there's, It seems to be a genre in and of itself now. Um, because of, you know, DSLR filmmaking being so prevalent and people can do this stuff in their house, in their basement, and stuff like that. But uh, Manborg, it's, it's such a wide scope 
there I mean for for such a, a, a tiny film I believe they they only shot it for like a few thousand dollars mm-hmm. and it's it's stop motion animation it's green screen after effects work it's video game stuff it's just like crazy synth based soundtrack and costumes and latex appliances through the roof and and great acting, great humor, great parody. She looks terrible at points, but looks amazingly <laughs> uh, huge at others. Um, mm-hmm. Manborg, the, the the huge send-up of old 80s sci-fi dystopian action films. I loved that movie so, 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 so much. Fans of really gonzo, goofy shit. It only runs at like an hour and six minutes or something it, like that. It runs a good length, too. It, it it runs just long enough for you to get all your shticks in, and it doesn't go too long to say, hey, we have to make a feature. They just... They just made a film, and then and then you get that trailer at the end for Biocop. Yeah, that that is amazing. I, I I think those guys are doing it right. I'm really looking forward to the Giallo that they're making next. That's right up my alley. I'm a huge Giallo fan. I couldn't recommend Manborg more than enough. Proofs in the pudding. These guys are just putting out phenomenal parodies and send ups. They're they're the kind of people that are doing these retro throwbacks right. They're mm-hmm. doing them very intelligently and a lot of fun. So yeah, that's that's my number five is is Manborg. So let's Man go back. Yeah, thumbs up, thumbs up. Uh, um, Andrew, let's go on to number four. Uh, my number four for 2013 is a documentary called A Band Called Death. That and, was uh, mine. That's on my list too. That's <laughs> sweet, man. That's really cool. Uh, you know, I'm a I, I come from punk rock before I was a. Uh, Filmmaker, I spent 10 years in uh, punk music, starting my first band when I was about 14 or 15. And, you know, punk is a thing where you kind of, like, you fall into it somewhere where you fall into it. I had a history teacher that gave me Black Flag Records, Dead Kennedys Records, Circle Jerks, and then, you know, you watch Repo Man, you get that soundtrack, and then you find the decline of Western civilization, mm-hmm. and then, you know, then... But at this point, there's been so many movies, documentaries made about it, fil- feature films made about it, um, great book, Please Kill Me by Legs McNeil, and, um, you know, all of it wants to go uh, from a point A, and we all kind of thought we knew where point A was. The yep. fascinating, amazing, incredible thing about a band called Death is you're totally wrong. Um, Completely wrong. <laughs> for, the, for those who do not know or not aware of this movie, it's a documentary about the first punk band and how um, this, you know, this recording was unearthed and uh, how these guys, sort of the reason why you've never heard of them. So it's a nice kind of like mystery uh, actually, mm-hmm. you know, it's got their their young sons who had no idea, and uh, just their story was a great. How they God. found out was such a great story. I can tell you um, every year without fail, there is a movie that I leave the film just feeling like good as fuck in my yeah. heart. Yeah. And um, uh, a couple of years before that, it was uh, best worst movie made me feel that way. Yep. And it, without fail, it's always a documentary or or a Terrence Malick that does it, um, but. This year was a band called Death. Look, this is the movie that everybody told you Searching for Sugar Man was last yep. year. Um, it's it's fabulous. And um, you know, if you're looking for a really good uh, unknown music history stuff, this is right up there. I feel like standing in the shadows of Motown as far as like a very revelatory, not necessarily celebratory, mm-hmm. um, but revelatory film about the history of music. And if you like punk, you can't 
say that you love it um, and you can't call yourself a fan if you don't know this stuff. It's, it's, <laughs> well, the music it's is phenomenal, too. Oh, it is. It is. And you know what's interesting is that when you hear their first song start up in the documentary, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Holy shit. Oh, like, yeah. That feeling, like, and I'm not saying this because they're African-American group. The first time you ever hear Bad Brains Rock for Light, mm-hmm. you know, you're just like, Whoa. you know, universe just blows up and I'm, 36 years old, I thought those days were over for me. Yeah. But when I watched that movie and I'd heard I wasn't one of the people that had picked up that uh, that uh, re-release of the record. Some of my friends were like, you didn't hear the record? I'm like, no, I'm old. I've been listening to the same music for you know years now. I don't buy new <laughs> shit. I, but this is new old shit. So I missed it. I missed it. I'm not cool enough. I never said I was. But uh, Band Called Death, man, holy fuck. What a great movie, man. Yeah, I agree completely. I thought it was one of these, and I won't I, I don't feel bad about saying this in the slightest. I'll be honest. I teared up yeah. toward the end of that movie a lot. I thought oh, it yeah. was so heartfelt. It was it, There was such genuine emotion. And I don't want to give away what happens in the film and whatnot because I really want people to, to go through and experience what that, what that film is and the journey that the people that are involved in that film go through. Even though it brings tears to your eyes, it is so uplifting and yeah. it made you feel so good and especially as being a musician and you can speak to this as well Andrew that it, that there's just like it captures that spirit of people that that just want to do it and just have something inside them they need to get out and uh, the music it's like immediately after the documentary's done I download it I went to iTunes and I bought that record it's and good. I listened to it like oh, for a week straight I just absolutely like it's amazing music. The documentary, um, while it feels at the beginning like it's kind of spinning its wheels a little bit, it it really comes together. And I by the end of it, I loved it. I thought it was it was one of the better documentaries of its type. These kind of rock and roll documentaries. It, yeah, it's like Searching for Sugar Man. Um, but it, like a lot of these documentaries, that, uh, the rock documentaries that I've seen lately that I've really enjoyed, like Last Days Here, The Pentagram Story, yeah. and uh, some of these others, most of them all are kind of these like these washed up guys that are trying to regain their glory, like Anvil and stuff like that. Um, but Death, the, a band called Death, everyone's super candid and not in a way that they come off like assholes. They're just very genuine and and very heartfelt about their love for each other because they're all brothers. The whole band are brothers. And it's just like, it's touching in and it, and the way that they raise their sons and how their sons are and their love for the music is just is a really great film. And I was talking to somebody else about this. I had never heard of it before. And I just found myself going on and on and on and on about it and yeah, gushing about to. it. Yeah, it's hard not to. I mean, it's just, you know, I make my top movies list based on, at the end of the year, what do I remember? What mm-hmm. is still sitting with me in my gut at the, you know, in December? And, uh, you know, my favorite movie of the year is something I saw in January. So, uh, you know, that's how you really know what the best shit is. A band Called Death, I've only seen it once, and I still remember it vividly the way I felt while I was watching it. That's a very powerful work. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. And that that music, can you imagine? Because they, they made the, the Ramones reference a few yeah. times, you know, how they got all the credit. And in there, let's just be honest, these, there's no way these guys would have ever broke out. They had yeah. all the odds stacked against them. The music was buried. No one wanted it just because of the title of their band. Uh, nobody wanted to promote a band named Death. Nope. So. They, were, they were ahead of their time, just like all the 
the truly great stuff. You know, you're driven by a visionary, an eccentric visionary. You know, uh, I just it's you're you just got to hear it. You just got to see it. I would say even if you're not a fan of punk music, if you just want to see something that you like, you know, because documentaries like one of the big ones this year, like stuff like Blackfish or Active yeah. Killing, you kind of even though they're great films, you know what you're getting into, and you can Wikipedia mm-hmm. the story. Yeah. Uh, there is nothing that is going to substitute the experience of watching this movie and hearing it because it is about music and yeah. uh, you know Sound City is 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 a is another one of my favorite ones of the year mm-hmm. uh, that that felt cool, but there. There's nothing in a band called Death that doesn't feel like a cinematic story. I mean, it really is a yeah. three-act uh, narrative, uh, you know, going on there. Even Absolutely. though it's all really happened, it's fucking it's unbelievable, and it's got a great arc to it. That's great. And so, Sound City. Now, that's the the Dave Grohl one, right? Yeah, and dude, oh, that movie made Rick Springfield. Huh? That guy rocks like a mad bastard. I never <laughs> knew. <laughs> I never oh. knew. I'm going to have to check that one out because I had heard uh, Mark Marin's podcast when he had Dave Grohl on last year when they were in yeah. the midst of filming it, and it sounded like a great story. So I'll have to check that one out. It's too. a good so, one. Yeah, Band Named Death, that's on my list as well, so we won't go over it again. But, yeah, highly recommended. It's easily one of the best things you'll see this year, without a doubt. So what's your number four? Oh, my number four. Um well, actually, I have a lot of them, so narrowing it down to five was tough, but uh, I'm going to give number four. It's another big release, but um, it's going to be Pacific Rim. And the reason I enjoyed Pacific Rim, and there's so, when after the film came out, it got some hate. It didn't do that well at the box office, and it blew me away because it was the most honest trailer in recent movie history. It's the most... It showed you, we're going to give you big fucking robots beating <laughs> up big fucking monsters for 90 minutes with some cliche dialogue in there, this is what we're doing. And, yeah. and, you know, it's not like he portrayed this as, oh, we're going to go for deep meaning with their apocalypse film or anything. No, it. this is what he wanted to do. And it made all kinds of sense. It came full circle for me and, and truly realized what his motivation was for making it. When you get to the very end of the film in the credits... He credits uh, thanking Harry, uh, Ray Harryhausen and uh, the guy who created Godzilla. And you even get a little Godzilla roar at the very end of the credits. And when he, <laughs> when he did that, I realized what type of film he actually was, and it all came into perspective. I'm like, dear God, he made a Ray Harryhausen film. He made a Jason and the Argonauts type of uh, film for the big screen, and he had all this money at hand, and he used it. This was this looked like a project of love, I think, for Guillermo del Toro to where he made it because he wanted to make it, not because he thought it was going to make lots of money, but he wanted to do a monster, you know, a, a Ray Harryhausen tribute type film. And that's what Pacific Rim is. I mean, you know, anyone thinking anything different, I don't know what they were expecting, but I had a blast at that movie. <laughs> I was just smiling from ear to ear, and I'm like, big robots beating the crap out of each other, some melodramatic speeches in there, you know? <laughs> he hits a monster with an oil freighter, okay? <laughs> I mean, really. <laughs> I think we can all speak to this one, because I'm pretty sure we all saw this. I, uh, Yeah, I, I can't disagree with anything you said. Um, it, uh, it's, an, it's a live-action anime. It really it is. is. It's... 
Yeah, it's Robotech. It's it's Godzilla. It's it's all that stuff. And I I went and saw it in the theater. And I remember sitting there with uh, another editor buddy of mine. Uh, we went together, and I looked at. It, I go, yep. This is gonna be two hours of CGI <laughs> monsters pushing <laughs> at each other. That's what this is, and uh, I enjoy myself, but I I don't think I would ever watch it again. That's just my taste. I thought it was oh. it was fun, but it's just not sure. really my thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I loved it, man. I mean, Del Toro is the man. I mean, he's he just the cha- mm-hmm. he's the champ of making these. I mean, look at like, like Hellboy two. Remember? Oh, that was so good. You know when they go in that village or whatever with all the mm-hmm. monsters, and you're just mm-hmm. like, "This is this guy's. He's t- walking the walk." You know, he's one of us, dude. And what I loved about Pacific Rim was like going in, you could not have found a more apathetic motherfucker sitting in that chair. Because I'm like, every year since Transformers came out, we have to have a giant robot movie, don't we? We have yeah, to have yeah. like real steel battleship, whatever it was, had to have some robots. I'm just like, I'm sick of it. I, why yeah. would we do this? Mm-hmm. But it's Del Toro, so you know something else is kind of going on here. And sure mm-hmm. enough, there's a scene with this little Asian girl, right? Yep. It'll that break your heart. It It'll does. It'll break your heart, man. Oh, it, it, it does. Yeah. And what, what uh, people that haven't seen Pacific Rim or don't realize, or people that are, you know, or, or were bashing it don't realize is this isn't a movie that's based on a board game, video game, mm-hmm. toy, comic book, none of that shit. This is an original-ass summer cool movie and uh, you know that whole idea that two people have to drive those robots and they have to they call it drift yeah right they have to be like emotionally in sync with each other that's not some bullshit that's gonna sell cereal and toys no that's like a real ass movie and so for me like Pacific Rim like I said, going in, I was like, rang, 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 ah, I wouldn't have gone to see it if it wasn't his movie. <laughs> How did that go again? <laughs> <laughs> That's the sounds of Andrew's apathy, you know? I can't go out to see a lot of movies like I used to all the time, yeah. you know, three a week because I got a baby. So I really have to pick the ones, yeah. mm-hmm. the big ones, right, that I'm going to see. And I go, what is going to probably be like on the big screen, not translate if I see a DVD of it? And Pacific Rim, I knew. Like if I, there could be, you know, because sometimes a DVD, digital, Blu-ray is not that kind to computer effects. And mm, no. you really need to see the big screen. Like think about uh, Peter Jackson, King Kong, seeing it on the big no. screen versus yeah, at yeah. home. It wasn't yeah. the same. So I, I, I was like, if I go see one of these big ass, loud ass movies, this will be the <laughs> one. Because I, I waited yeah. for at home to see Iron Man. I waited at home to see Star Trek and, and Man of Steel, all that stuff. I'm just now catching up on all those. Pacific Rim was the one I chose to go to, and I'm glad because that was a really a seriously good movie, man. I, you know. You're right. I mean, there is a lot of stuff going on, but more so I just like Guillermo del Toro because, like you said, he's making original stuff to feed the masses. You know, he And he's doing what he wants to do. You can tell in a film, you can always tell, in, at least me personally, because I've watched a lot of films, and I'm sure you guys, since you make them, you know, but you can tell when, I think you can tell when they've put something in there where you know they're doing it to feed the masses, yeah. and you can see when they're making something because they want to make it, and I always get the impression, no matter what Guillermo does, he's doing something because he wants to tell a story, not because he's making a film because this is going to get the big opening weekend. He wants to tell a story. I mean, I even liked his uh, one with the Tooth Fairy ones, the uh, uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark or whatever. Oh, I didn't see that one yet. 
you know, I enjoyed that one. A lot of people hammered that one, and I don't know why. I enjoyed it. It was a fun spin on the whole Tooth Fairy thing, you know, and, and I, I like Guillermo. I'm a big Guillermo del Toro fan as well. I'll watch any of his stuff. His Spanish language stuff is really how you know, right? Oh, yeah. Because Absolutely. It's not, it's oh, not like he's two different guys. Like, you know, you got your oh. you got your popcorn Spielberg and your drama Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Del Toro, yeah. really? I mean, you know, you got the, the Spanish language stuff is is darker and, uh, you know, a bit, bit less on the popcorn-y side. But he doesn't leave all that behind when he's making his, uh, you know, English stuff. Oh, hell no. no. It's all in there. And I feel like Pacific Rim is the, the, the best example of his two personas merging together in mm-hmm. one movie than we've ever seen before. Because yeah. even though, like, the Hellboy and Blade and all that stuff... They uh, they do have some of the you know you can see a little Chronos in, in all of it, but um, Pacific Rim has more of that mm. that kind of like real personal stuff in it, uh, in amongst all the destruction uh, yes. than, than I think he's ever done in any of his Hollywood stuff before. I don't know I don't know I don't know if I agree with that too much I I, I think Hellboy two was was a better showcase for for kind of his mixture. Um, just from like, even if you were to go to recent memory of like Pan's Labyrinth to that film, felt more organic than yeah. Hellboy that's true. Two to that's true to yeah. Pacific I Rim. I think it's been a long time since I seen Hellboy Two, The Golden Army. <laughs> Dude, I've watched it a ton. I bought it on on Blu-ray. I I love Hellboy Two. I think it's yeah. a phenomenal film. And I haven't, I haven't, I don't think when I watched it, I thought about. Uh, Pan's Labyrinth, which I've watched more. Oh, that's an oh, amazing that, movie. That too. movie is just phenomenal. Yeah, so maybe it. I'll watch them backs to back because you know. <laughs> <you go. laughs> so that that was my number four. So uh, that's a good pick, even though yeah. I, it's, I'm kind of mad on it. I can't deny that it was a fun movie. It was definitely yeah. a fun movie. So I'll I'll start off on number three, seeing how um, Andrew and I kind of shared a pick that last one there. My number three was something that both of you gents recommended. A while back on a show that we did, um, it was Escape from Tomorrow. The 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 completely <laughs> black and white shot in the Disney uh, Disneyland <laughs> theme That's park crazy. horror horror sci fi. What the fuck did I just watch? <laughs> um, it's it was very subversive. It was very creepy. It it was fantastical. It was um, sporadically Surreal. very ugly, but then also very gorgeous. It's one of those one-of-the-kind films where you just don't know where it's going to go at any given point throughout its entire runtime. Then when you get to the end, it's hard not to have a huge smile on your face. I, I really enjoyed it. And, and for the listeners that don't know what this is, um, it's, a, it's a story of a family that's uh, vacationing at Disneyland. And uh, the father, uh, the dad, has just lost his job. Him and his wife are kind of on the skids because she's a cold, frigid bitch. And uh, <laughs> their kids are so excited, but they're, they're starting to get tired of the trip because it's like the last day there. They've been there for three days. And slowly but surely, weird things are starting to occur around the father um, as he's very creepily eyeballing up a couple preteen girls um, that he keeps seeing around the park. And as he keeps following them, 
he keeps kind of going down a rabbit hole, not unlike Alice. I don't want to give away too much, but it was <laughs> a, a one-of-a-kind flick. And halfway through, I was kind of like, where the fuck is this going? <laughs> and then and then when it hit the end, I was just like, I was dying. I was absolutely fucking dying. And then when it hit the end and what the end, like how they showed it and everything that happened, I was just like, I looked at my wife. I'm like, that was fucking awesome. That was a great movie. Um, so Escape from Tomorrow, it's not a wide release yet. Um, definitely when it comes out, I recommend anybody that's into weird gonzo fringe cinema, check it out. It's it's top shelf stuff. Yeah. It's a good choice. I mean, and the story and how they made it is almost more intriguing than the film itself. You know, just how they went about things in that. So I... I I loved a lot of things about that too. Didn't didn't make my list, but like I said, I've got a. I watched a lot of films this year, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was definitely on top ten, I would say, uh, just for the fact of what they made and what they tried to do with it, and they get some beautiful shots of the park. I mean, you oh, get yeah. stuff in there you've not seen before, so. And you've never but. seen it in this like really high contrast black, black and, white, and white I know stylized and then the only thing that's uh, and it's an obvious budget limitation it's also a problem I'm sure that they ran into in post was some of the green screen stuff yeah. was super bad mm-hmm. it was and that's really bad, bad because black and white's usually pretty forgiving on anything so for yeah. it to be well, bad black and white is bad yeah. well the yeah. direct I believe the director even acknowledged that I read in an interview or something that they had to do that yeah, because because they were so, they were on a watch list for the Disney folks. Because oh, <laughs> after a while, I can't imagine <laughs> that they couldn't figure out what they were doing. Yeah, so he said some of the stuff they had to do green screen because they they couldn't go back to the park. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, honestly, I think um, it uh, it well, it's in my top ten of the year. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I honestly feel like, and you know, Mark made a good point about it when we did the show before because I think he and I were the only ones that had seen it at the time. You know, when you take all the color out of Disney, creepy right there. But I really think it could have been made at any park, and it still would have been a good ass movie. Same story, yeah. You know, but uh, I just—it was the only movie I can think of in years where, because you know, with media journalism, oftentimes you get people like, "This film is opening soon. This film is whatever. Would you like a screener? Would you like a screener?" Shit comes in the mail, things like that, and you're just like, "Oh, oh, I've heard of this. I'll watch it," or "I got to write about this because my job." But uh, Escape from Tomorrow was the only movie I can think of in recent memory where I was, as soon as I heard about it, I started emailing people trying to get a screen. <laughs> it's like, I cannot fucking wait to see this movie. As soon as I realized it was horror when I saw that trailer, I was like, who's got it? Who's got yeah. it? And I started you know, asking you know, every contact I had, immediate contact I had, and I ended up with it, which was cool. Um, because, like, you know, normally it's just, like I said, you're just getting movies, and that's kind of par for the course. But that right. was, I can't remember a time when I was, like, actively seeking out a screener like that. Well, it's punk rock, dude. That whole, the whole <laughs> thing is, is just like, let's, let's just, this is guerrilla filmmaking. Let's just invade this park that obviously, I'm shocked that it's even getting released. There must be some legal thing that's going on between the two. That, that they're allowing this to even be let out there. I think it, Disney's pretty dirty. I, I, I thought before I saw it that maybe Disney was in on it, you know, because the trailer looked too good. Mm-hmm. But with with perverts in the park following around, <laughs> there's no way. <laughs> yeah. There's I, no way. I believe it's 
it, it's thought of that Disney is trying not to bring as much attention as possible to it, and by suing this little independent film, bring a would, lot of attention. It, it would yeah. explode it even more, considering the reputation of Disney. So I think if anything's happening, it's either under the table or they're just trying to ignore it, hoping that maybe it just goes away in obscurity. And and you know, I think you're right. I really do. But at the same time. And maybe this is the optimist in me. Maybe they see its worth. Maybe mm-hmm. they see that you know it's it's something that should exist and that people should see it. And maybe they're just going to be like, you know what? I think we're going to turn a blind eye to this one. Yeah, well, Disney owns everything. They don't yeah. get flying fuck, you know. But I, when people ask me to describe it, you know, and they don't understand I, words <laughs> like surreal, I yeah. usually say, and this was my, this was my, you know, little capsule thing of it that I had to do for a. It appeared in a slideshow I did of like the top ten so far this year over the summer. Uh, I said that it was like if uh, they had let um, David Lynch make National yeah. Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. Yes. One hundred percent. That's perfect. Yes. One hundred percent. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it. I love. I I love black and white films, and not enough of them are made anymore, and it's unfortunate because I think black and white films, it, much more than color, half the time are. Uh, are beautiful, are mm-hmm. absolutely gorgeous, and they, they take you into another world just by the, the nature of the desaturation of the color. So um, definitely check it out, Escape from Tomorrow, the Disney film about creepers, and uh, <laughs> I don't want to say much. And there's nudity. And, and there's, there's nudity. nudity. There's nudity. There's tits, yes. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Very film. important thing to mention. Yes. <laughs> movies, boobies. Is this, a, movies is this the first movie? Disneyland. <laughs> is this the first movie of our list that have boobies in it? Evil Dead no. didn't have boobies, did it? Evil Dead didn't, know. It is. I this is our first movie sighting. <laughs> <laughs> wow, who, who, who knew that was a barometer for anything? Yeah. Wow, wow. <laughs> Boobies list. Derek's already up on all you guys. Um, oh, my top five booby movies. We can do that. That's <laughs> a whole different list. Oh, I'll trust me. That wouldn't even have cracked the top ten for some of the movies <laughs> I saw this year. Let me tell uh, you. Uh, Mark, let's let you go. What's your, what's your number three, my friend? Uh, number three for me is going to be your next uh, it was a uh, independent horror film that actually was on the festival circuit for a couple of years. I had heard about it like two, three years ago. Two years ago, I think, when it first came out. And it traveled the festival circuit, and I, it kind of faded away. I'm like, because I read about it on a, a, a website, and I'm like, oh, this sounds awesome. And then I didn't hear anything more about it. And then as I got into more indie films and that over the past couple of years, I started to see a little more buzz, a little more buzz, and all of a sudden I heard it's getting wide release, and I'm like, that's awesome. And I saw it and I was like, yes, this is an indie horror film. Uh, you know, it, 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 of all the newer modern horror films, it definitely had that indie vibe. I could see, you, you could tell its origins was from the festival and that these guys had made something. Um, and it was just fun. I mean, all, all, all aspects of it, you know, I'm just watching it and I was, Another one of those where I'm just smiling. I'm smiling every minute because I'm loving the girl, you know, the main girl they got in there, the Australian bad. You know, I love her character in there. The bad guys that they came up with, the way they opened this movie uh, with with just this random act happening <laughs> that really had very little to do with the rest of them. You know, I'm just watching this. Wait, going. wait, wait. Are you talking about Berserker, Hell's Warrior? No, no, no. No, no. Okay, 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 okay. I just want to make sure. 
they did this scene to introduce the bad guys, but it really doesn't do anything else. You know, it doesn't have any real connection to the rest of the movie until near the end, uh, and just loosely there, and just in general. You know, the, it was fun. It, it was a definitely a decent horror film. They didn't do, uh, they didn't rely on jump scares to scare you. They brought a creepy factor. Gotta love in. that. You, you know, I mean, they had a few jump scares, but they had just a lot of creepy things going on. And like I said, the, the main girl it was a badass. You know, the, the main girl in there was just so much fun to watch her take this character and just run with it. You, you don't see really strong characters like that, I think, in, in a lot of modern horror films. They try, but, but they don't just let them go, you know, to where they're full on the strongest person out of the group, you know, you anymore with a lot of them, at least the ones that I've watched, the modern horror, not the independent stuff, but just the stuff that made it to the big screen, you know, it, it just felt genuine and it was some crazy kills that went on in it and it had a, uh, had a kind of fun ending to it as well. So yeah, you're, you're next. It was one of those I was waiting for a long time to see and it didn't disappoint me at all. And, uh, it was one of the better modern horror films I've seen in quite a while. So cool. That's good um, to hear. I have no, I haven't seen it, so I can't really mm-hmm. add anything to it. Have you seen it, Andrew? Yeah, you know, I was, I was, it was a trip to see Barbara Crampton in a multiplex. <laughs> yeah, I, I was just like, I don't know that I've ever seen this happening. That's crazy. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. It's good. And you know, the problem I think was I went to see something, and the trailer for that and the Purge were right next to each other. Oh yeah. And oh so, yeah. You know, I was like, hmm. Me and I hated yeah. that the, the Purge was like the one that got the bigger release and w- more people like went to see and they didn't like. I'm like, right. God, you guys would have liked your next if we just swap out their, you know, the theaters they went to in the promotion. <laughs> but you know, everybody I know that uh, that saw, I mean, they were already doing revival screenings at the Silent Movie Theater. Did one. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got it's already got a cult following and uh, much deserved. Yep. Yeah. For no other reason, good old Barbara in now. Yes, <laughs> she's awesome. Yeah. She, yeah, she, 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 she was awesome in that. Yeah, and you know the the first time I ever saw her in person, like I my heart jumped into my throat because she looks just, just exactly, just just exactly like <laughs> Megan Halsey in Reanimator. She has not changed. <laughs> Even oh. got that haircut. And so I had to wait oh. till the next time I saw her at a convention to actually speak to her because the first time <laughs> I was like, uh, uh, I'd never done that before. And like, because Jeffrey Combs sitting here and, you know, he's got that Allan Poe mustache, everything's cool. And then I'm like, holy shit, by Megan Halsey. And like, she's like, so where did you drive here? And I'm like, <laughs> got my my reanimator laser disc, you know. And she's like, oh, laser disc, where'd you get this? Like, I, <laughs> I couldn't do it. It was, you know, it was seriously because a lot of them, you know, you see the age on their face a little bit, and you're like, you don't look mm-hmm. like you're doing the movie. You are yeah, old, and I yeah, can right. tell that. Yeah. Not her, dude. Not her. And you know, a lot of those ladies don't get a role in a major release. So hell yeah, you're next, yeah. dude. That's that's like my John Waters story. When I met John Waters, I was uh, I saw him speak here in Appleton at Lawrence University back I think in '96. So 95 or 96, and I had uh, brought uh, a Pink Flamingos poster that I had bought, and uh, I'm waiting in line, and I get up to him, and he rolls it out, and he's like, son of a bitch. I'm like, what? And he goes, this a goddamn bootleg. And I'm like, well, what are you talking about? And he goes, 
Look, they spelled my name wrong. In John sure Walters. Shit. Yep, it's John Walters. Sure <laughs> yeah, shit. I've got that he one. looks he looked I'm like uh that's not good. And he goes, ah, fuck it, I'll sign it anyway. And he <laughs> signed it, and, uh, and it, it's sitting next to me right now. <laughs> no, I've, I've got that poster on the wall here. It's not signed, but I have. I didn't tell you my John Waters story. No, go for that? it. Oh, go no, for it. dude, I went to see when they did the re-release of Pink Flamingos in the 90s. He did a college tour where he did lectures, you know? So it's like John Waters lecture night one, uh, Pink Flamingos night two or whatever. And, you know, I'll never forget because they put the intermission right after the singing asshole. You never heard <laughs> such a collective gasp of college students, you know. But uh, I brought something for him to sign, and I lost my nerve. And, and then a big line is forming at the table, and I'm like, oh, I'm not going to. But I had sat in the front row the whole show, and I got yeah. this uh, T-shirt on, The Thrill Killers, Ray Dennis Steckler. Nice. You know? So I, you know, I'm sitting there and talking to my friend. My friend's like, "You're not gonna get in the line." I'm like, "All right, look at how long it is." And I, you know, but really, I'm just yeah, out. Yeah. And so I stand up to leave, and he's like, "Hey, I like your shirt." And I'm like, "Fuck you, no way!" <laughs> <laughs> so that was it. Oh <laughs> man! Seriously, and, and the thing is, I didn't even say the most pathetic part when I when I picked up the poster and I looked at it. I'm like, "Oh, that's not good." And I walked away. As I felt like, man, I'm the lowest fucking form of pond scum. <laughs> I, I, I felt like such a, uh, so embarrassed for myself. No, he's way. watched, he's watched a guy eat dog shit. I don't think. Yeah. 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 That's, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. So, okay. So number three for Mr. Mark, the movie man was your next Andrew. Go for it. Oh, my number three of 2013 is Lords of Salem by Robert Zombie. Ooh, nice. And, uh, you know, I um, I would not call myself a fan of Rob Zombie. I went to see his band when I was in high school with a concert that was Pantera and Sepultura and Rob Zombie. Or, well, it was White Zombie. I always enjoyed the horror movie, B-movie reverence that he had. I always thought that was really cool, but, you know, uh, I never saw... I mean, I went to see House of a Thousand Corpses, and I knew all the history, and it was sort of a letdown because although it's got, it's part of a, a great movie, I always would, was left wondering what he would have done if he'd had the support of Universal Pictures yeah. for the whole stretch of it. But instead, he just kind of pieced it together and made this like accidentally avant-garde-ish, uh, neat movie. I do like it, but it's yeah. still, you just, you know, because he always talked about it, it wasn't quite there. And, uh, for Devil's Reject, I think they're, Maybe we've talked about this on the show before, but the fact of the matter is he didn't want to make Devil's Rejects. He made no. it because that was the only money, the only movie he could get money for. Which seems and to be what goes on in his exactly, entire career. Exactly, yeah. and then he makes the Halloween because he gets the deal with Dimension, even though he's like, oh, well, remakes suck, but I'm going to make this, and trust <laughs> me, I'm Rob Zombie, and I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to show you how terrifying his redneck parents were. And then, you know, he does part two, admittedly, because he didn't want someone else to make part two, and he says on the commentary, he has no fucking clue what it even is and what it means or anything. Yep. He's bashing his own movie on on the part two commentary. So when we get to uh, Lords of Salem, I'm like, oh shit, this is the first real 100% Rob Zombie movie that has ever been made. And damn, if it wasn't the best thing they ever made. Mm-hmm. And um, I was um, I was very floored by how I mean, 2013 has been a year of uh, very kind of experimental stuff going on, very surrealist and, uh, stuff going on in mm-hmm. movies from, you know, everything from Only God Forgives, Upstream Color, uh, to uh, Wrong, which did make my top ten, uh, the guy that made Rubber, I love right. that guy. 
And it's more of just like, all right, well, uh, movies can don't have to necessarily be a point A to point B to point C. There are, are there used to be other ways of doing stuff. I loved all the uh, referencing that he did, but it felt really organic instead of going like, hey, fanboys, remember this? Yeah. Hey, guys, how about this? Hey, this is like this. It's more of just like Rob Zombie, a heavy metal musician, makes a heavy metal horror movie. And yeah. Yeah, when was the last time somebody made one of those, man? Yeah. yeah. Trick or treat, right? The record yeah. gets played and shit starts to happen. Uh, how Black great Rose that? is my friend. Black exactly. Rose. I was like, thank you, man, for making... Number one, they don't make enough horror witch movies, first of all. Yeah. And, you know, I talk about Barbara Crampton, who's, you know, uh, got a very, very blinking illicit part in uh, Lords of Salem, but who's got an awesome part? Patricia Quinn from Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yep. Mm -hmm. She's so good in Lords of Salem that I was like, why isn't she in all them Harry Potter movies? Yeah, I know, right? Why isn't she she in everything? She was so goddamn good. Everybody was so good. And Cherry Moon Zombie, who everybody hates, she carried it. She was straight. She did well. I I think it was her best. I think it was her best film. It really was. And people, again, man, are like ripping off. They're saying like, oh, it's like Rosemary's Baby. Oh, it's like this or like that. And I was like, it's so fashionable to take that stance. It's so fashionable. She was easy on the eyes too. So exactly. (laughs) That's why Mark liked it. And he puts the camera right up her ass in every movie, doesn't he? Hey, he so, knows what's good. Well, it's his wife, right? He's yeah. like, check it out, man. You can, y'all can look at it, but I get to touch it at night. <laughs> uh, but to me, I got to see it on the big screen, mm-hmm. and we were the only ones in there. And uh, it was the it was the first movie I went out to see after uh, my daughter was born. And I was just like, I drove like almost an hour to see it because it got no kind of release, no kind of promotion. You can tell nobody's confidence was behind it. And then, of course, his fans, who are mouth breathers, shit all over it. And uh, I was just like, and then he's saying he's not going to make a horror movie, which you know is bullshit. But still, I was like, well, good. I mean, Mm -hmm. you you made one, right? I mean, it's a good one. I think if it had, you know, been made... 20 years ago, 30 years ago, this would be a movie we're still talking about. It's got crazy-ass shit in it. He's taking chances with stuff. That song, right? That mm-hmm. the Lords of Salem song, Motherfucker, that is a scary song. You know? <laughs> Everything, the whole soundtrack, John 5 did an amazing job. And if anybody yeah. uh, on that listens to the show wants to hear my, my viewpoints on the film, my whole first episode of the new run of Astro Radio Z is entirely dedicated to the Lords of Salem. And <laughs> my thoughts on Rob Zombie as a filmmaker in general, go back. Listen to it. I spend almost 40 minutes gloating about this film. Um, I love it. I thought it was great. It didn't make my top five because there was just some films that I, that really hit me hard, but I enjoyed Lords of Salem quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Meg, Meg Foster in there as well did well. Man, you know, Meg Foster. She was, she was crazy in that. I'm like, wow, it's Meg Foster. Because at first I'm like, she looks familiar. She looks familiar. I'm like, holy shit, that's Meg Foster. Yeah, yeah, those eyes. The 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 sad part though is you know Richard Lynch was originally going to be yeah. that in uh, that role oh. of the uh, of the uh, guy Bruce what's his name took it Davison. Bruce yeah, Davison. yeah, Bruce Davison. And he's married to Maria Conchita Alonso. Yeah, I know. Who's right? also in it. Who's also in the movie? I know. I mean, but again, you know, he's doing his stunt casting thing, his genre elbow thing. But instead of just putting a man, you know, hi, I'm Sid. Hey, remember me? Hi, I'm Bill yeah. Leslie. Remember me? It's more yeah. just like they're still they're playing characters and shit. And you know, it's just it's a real good movie. And every time I watch it. 
I'm just saying, like, you remember uh, Beyond the Black Rainbow, how how uh, oh. crazy that was, but in the very yeah. end, it's kind of like, just like, oh, they fired the director and, you know, brought in, you know, some dumbass to finish the movie. Lords of Salem from end to end just really is something. And there are very few moments in it where you're like, Rob Zombie, why are you doing that, man? You, you got me here. You're fine. Very few, very few. No, but very few. It's just got good rewatchability, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, like I agree. It. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Um, it's kind of if you really, really like it, my recommendation would be not to listen to the audio commentary on it. Um, it kind of demystifies the film, not yeah. in a way that it tells you everything about how it was made. It, it it does, but it kind of it left me a little, a little depressed. Like, because I thought for once he had finally made this cohesive, very singular, very focused film, and it turns out that it's not the case. That it was a film entirely made in post. That he had so many, so many problems and so many gaps in the film that he basically had to make it all up in post. And uh, he did a great job, but at the same time, it definitely ruins your perception of him finally having 100% control and making exactly what he wanted to do because it, it certainly is not that. Yeah, no, it's, it's true, and I remember, I think that was one of the first conversations me and you had was about this movie after I'd heard that episode, and I honestly, uh, you know, it, I can't help but think about it in terms of, like, you know, Godard gets a lot of credit, too, but uh, Breathless was put together in a lot of the same way. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's kind of just like shoot first, ask questions later, and it's, a, it's kind of a, a mini masterpiece on accident. Yeah, yeah, that's well. I'm a huge Lynch fan, and that's kind of his mantra. It's kind of like it's the little mistakes and it's the little catastrophes that that really force you to be creative and then step outside of the work and look at it from a different perspective. And I think uh, Lords of the Salem really kind of showcases that mentality. And I I love it. I I couldn't recommend it enough. I think it's a great film. So we'll move on. That was uh, I think Number round three. three. I think we're moving yeah, three. three. Number two here, and uh, I'll start off number two, and uh, we talked about a couple episodes back, we did our 31 Days of Horror, and uh, I'm going to reiterate, we don't need to go on too much about this because I already did gush about it, but the remake of Maniac, I thought, was an absolutely Mm -hmm. jaw-droppingly phenomenal film. Um, uh, Same way that uh, a band called Death affected me. This is the complete opposite. This this film made me feel horrible after it was done, <laughs> and uh, I loved it. I thought it was very, 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 very well done. So, you want to hear my all my gushing thoughts about it? Go back a couple episodes of Astro Radio Z and listen to us sit and jammer on about horror films, and it's the first thing we talk about is the Maniac remake. So that's on my list. We all kind of talked about this. Do we need to rehash, boys? Well, Mark looked like he had a thought, though. It was right oh, well, before. Well, no, I was just going to say that it, it fell in line with the very few remakes that I really enjoy, and I, I, I brought up this, I just did, and I'm going to, shameless plug here, on uh, my Horror Thursday, I reviewed the remake of Silent Night. Okay, and I know your feelings on it, but uh, one of the comments... <laughs> Everyone tiptoes around me. What is going on? No, one I will admit, I didn't... Uh, one of the things I made a comment about was I would have enjoyed it more had they not tried to make it as a remake, but the fact that they made Silent Night as a remake just moved it into a kind of a different category for me. And 
what what uh, Maniac did and what the Crazies did, which I loved the Crazies remake, was they took the same film but they gave it a slight a different perspective. They told the story from a different perspective and they told it well. And that's what for the most part Crazies did and that's what Maniac did. So yeah, that's a good choice. I was just gonna say it it took the same film, they were still doing a remake, but they told it from a different perspective in in a good way. Very <laughs> so, uh, very, uh, yeah, soundtrack. If if anything, if uh, you know, gritty urban slashers and nasty horror films aren't your thing, uh, you go on Spotify or just go buy the Maniac soundtrack. It's oh, an amazing piece of work. I, I think they did a, an awesome job with it. And Elijah Wood, honestly, he nailed it. He knocked it out of the park. It was it was really good. I I yeah. loved his crazy Sin Sin City. So I think I love I love his crazy. So. <laughs> Yeah, remakes are funny, man, because it's like people don't, they seem to want the same thing over again, mm-hmm. and I never understand that, because they're like, they, they see as like, oh, yeah. this can never replace the originals, like, it's not going to, what the yeah. fuck? Yeah. yeah, I still got my Blue of a Lustig's film. It yeah, it's like, anywhere. it's like, you know, it's, it's always, suddenly it's like this big violation or whatever, and I hate to say it, because we all like Mo. But when he says he doesn't watch remakes, and I go in that episode, I go, "But you should watch The Fly, though." And he goes, "Oh no, I want." And I was like, "Okay, so because <laughs> I feel like really it is with fans at a certain age, they go like, "All right, any movie made past blank, that's a remake, sucks." But like all these ones that I saw when I was twelve, thirteen, get passed yeah. for some reason, and it's like out of the realm of possibility that someone could take a great story and tell it in a whole other way and make mm-hmm. it be its own good movie. But yeah. I think happen. to his defense a little bit though too is I'm kind of the same way where I think I think it's a, a matter of percentages now and I think mm-hmm. I think the percentage of the really good stuff like uh, like Maniac are few and far between from the products like a Nightmare on yeah. Elm Street. Oh well, yeah, but I mean, like that. you you could argue that the same number of good movies are still made every year. Period. Yeah, and there's just mm-hmm. more movies of any kind. out there. Yeah. You know, yeah. being made, and that's that's kind of what kind of clutters it and makes it tough. But I, I've never been against remakes because some of you know some of my favorite horror movies are, right? You know, and uh, I like some of the ones that a lot of people don't like just because. Hell, man, a cool movie is a cool movie, and sometimes I, I just like the little details. And but I like it when they, you know, Mark said it best. It's it's when they it's when they they tell it from a different perspective, but they retain what it was that yeah. we loved about the story period mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. uh you know that with that house on the left i you know i think the biggest mistake that they made with that was you know the fact that these killers originally just become these monsters and don't start out as these fucked people right. and you know there's those moments where they're looking like oh god what did i do but what does yeah. he do in the beginning of that remake the first thing they do is murder people and you're like you have mm-hmm. lost you have lost your power. Yeah, you know. So yep. the, the um, element of surprise and of shock mm-hmm. is completely. Yeah, they could. They, they well, that was like a mistake. I thought. Yeah. Well, that was like uh, with the Silent Night remake. The problem I had with it was, I'm like, I'm looking at this going. You know, you guys had potential of making a decent Christmas horror film had you just changed a few things, but the fact that you're seem to be forcing this into a remake. You're forcing yourself to do the exact same scenes that you had, that you thought were, you know, that are the classic scenes, but missing the total point of the fact that 
we're not attached to the killer like we are in the original. The original Silent Night, Deadly Night has such, and it's it's funny that I'm gonna say this, but it is really well made for what it is. It like mm-hmm. takes its time, it builds a, a psychology around a character, and then when it finally busts loose. It's just like you understand what's going on. You know yeah. why it's happening. The remake of Silent Night, it lost me right off the bat. Mm-hmm. I love the killer. I love the image of the killer, what they did, and I love the ferocity of what he's doing, but there's just no empathy for anything that's going on in that film. It just starts right out with a horrible CG death scene, and I just like it lost me yeah. right away. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we're maniac scores. You know, at yeah. the, where, where it really hits its best is the fact that, you know, the original Maniac was a movie of the, and its time really fucked people up. Yeah. And if you're <laughs> going to make Maniac again, you've got to find out, like, what is going to fuck people up now mm-hmm. that will never yeah. watch Maniac. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yep. You know, yep. that will not pick up a 1980 movie. Like, what will fuck them up now? Now. And. Yeah. Maniac with Elijah Wood, mm-hmm. you know, is I'm sure fucking people up. It's for no other reason because it's you know Frodo. You know. It's Frodo. Frodo just what did he do, man? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, and dare I say this? I think it's a better movie. Oh, I you know oh, yeah, I actually in a lot of ways it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I I I completely agree. You know, here's mm-hmm. the thing, man. You know, Maniac is exploitation films made by exploitation filmmakers, and it's you know a special effects showcase for Savini. And you know, and those were the days where they were figuring this stuff out, and they were just kind of going for stuff. But you know, it's just not a it's not what you consider like a fully realized character, not what you would consider a you know a story that really has. Uh, like a point A to B, you know, in scenes where is the character kind of nothing really changes a lot of the times in me. No, it just got a, a level of filth to and it. it just, yeah, it, it just wants you, you to feel really upsiling. Yeah, it's a little, it's a soup that just is already at simmer, and so you're just kind of laying in it, you know? Yeah. It's it's yeah. not really a three-act movie the way Maniac, the new right. Maniac is. I don't think that's a blast for me to say that. I mean, here's, no. the, here's another problem I have with the whole remake thing is that as soon as they remake a movie, they want to act like the first one's perfect. You know? Yeah. Sometimes it's not, you know. No. <laughs> like, you got to be ready to admit that, and yep. you know, and be okay with it. If because I, you know, I'll say this now, and we'll probably talk about this when RoboCop comes out. But I'm, I've already got some feels about RoboCop, the new RoboCop, because <laughs> it, it really looks like the movie RoboCop. Probably, let's be honest, should have probably been a children's movie, but it just they let this crazy Dutchman make the shit, and children <laughs> should not have seen that. You know, so like, there's uh, a great. Did you? I know you're a listener of the Projection Booth podcast. Yeah. Did you listen to the RoboCop episode? I did, and I made my own RoboCop episode. Um, I love <laughs> Projection Booth. I'm listening to their uh, episode now. Brain that wouldn't die episode. Yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And no, I'm I'm on I'm on board with that shit. But we're yeah. Let's do a RoboCop episode. Let's let's make a pack now, everybody. I hey. I, if if we can just talk about RoboCop three in that episode for a long period of time, <laughs> I will be extremely happy because I love that movie. RoboCop with wings. We'll talk about it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Let's let's revisit that at some time. And oh, also uh, before we move on, uh, Projection Booth Podcast alert to everybody in the coming weeks. 
they're doing an orgy of the dead episode. Oh, oh the no way. Greatest, I just have it on VHS. That's the only thing I've got for it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, tune into that. I, we're huge fans of that here. So, definitely, orgy of the dead coming up soon. Amazing. Shit, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, Andrew, go for your number two. Oh, number two? Oh, I'm sorry. You mean the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, my two is John Waters' number one, Spring Breakers. I fucking, you know, I, I a lot of people would just look at me like I'm a moron for liking this movie, but then all of a sudden John Waters picks his number one. Oops. Why? <laughs> because Spring Breakers is a juvenile delinquent classic. It just, it's bathed in neon and puke, and it is accidentally artistic, and it is full of... Uh, you know, a wonderful, I think, award-worthy performance from James Franco. But there are moments in it that really just, like, again, they stick in my head. I took someone to see it that had never heard of it, that did no Harmony Corin, that, you know, had had no idea what the story was. It was a girl's college age, uh, 19 years old. She loved the living shit out of it. And I hate Britney Spears. I'm too old to enjoy that stuff. <laughs> Not even ironically. And there is a scene in that movie set to her music that I just, I probably won't forget. It's just, <laughs> it's really good. There's visual callbacks. There's, you know, outstanding cinematography. Um, I just think, I thought it, I mean, I kind of couldn't believe how good it really was. I mean, it had no right to be as good as it was. You're not the first person to say that, and it's been on my list to watch, and it's one of those where I keep passing it in the video store or on the video list and go, eh, should I watch it? And now after you're saying it, okay, fine, I'm going to go watch it now. Cause it just, <laughs> it just it, It's not what it looks like, man, yeah. but, but kind of it is, too. Mm-hmm. It just there's, there's more going on there. Uh, than meets the eye, uh, you know, and more sure. more than you'll kind of expect. I think what worked against it the worst was that there was some Disney people in the cast, you know, mm-hmm. and right. so a lot of the press focus on that when it came what out. What was like, it, Selena Gomez? Selena Gomez was one of them. I don't and, know who they are. I don't yeah, know which it, ones they were, but... Um, one, one of them was Selena Gomez. There was another mouse, uh, former Mouseketeer in there as well. Um yeah, it's just got some really. I mean, the the cinematography is great, but the story I just really, really love. I mean, it is they go to spring break, these women, and they hook up with this drug dealer. But the women are psychos, and they're way more crazy than he is. And uh, as the story goes on and things kind of progress, they've just got some unforgettable set pieces that they do. But uh, more than that, the ending is just a kick in the nuts. It's so perfect. It really is. And I, it's two on the list. Second best movie of the year for me. I really could not wait for it to come out so I could buy it and watch it and watch it. I've seen it, you know, a bunch of times. Vanessa Hudgensen was the other big uh, teen name that was in it besides See, Selena Gomez. I don't know who these people are. Yeah, well, those are two big... Uh, Teen, they grew up, you know, the Disney kind of teen uh, stable, and this was the why it was so big was because they were doing such a racy film like this. But it's full of boobs, man. I mean, <laughs> it has got all that spring break debauchery, sure. close-ups of drugs and beer falling on boobs and cocaine on boobs, and, you know. <laughs> Well, you know Harmony is going to push it. All of his films push it. He has no qualms with taking things to where they need to go. It's true, but this uh, this really is like, you know, this is this is kind of a, a notch above, and it made me kind of reevaluate what that guy might have been doing this whole time, mm-hmm. too, because it seems like 
you know, everything um, that he did with uh, the, the Larry Clark stuff, too. You know, mm-hmm. how Larry Clark is and stuff, and people hate him. But you got to admit, I mean, he's a good photographer, and a lot of those movies visually are just quite, they're, you know, they're, they're on a, a higher level than uh, a lot of even that indie stuff was. Um, I, don't, I don't dislike him. No. And he's, he's good at what he does, but uh, Spring Breakers beats all that stuff. Beats kids, beats all that stuff. I mean, it really is... Um, it rises above what anyone kind of would expect. At the end of it, you're just kind of like, well, shit, you know? That's the way I felt after I saw it. So, you know, dis- despite itself, or despite what the expectations were, it's better than I think it had any any right to be. I'm, I honestly was pretty shocked by how great it was. That's awesome to hear. I I, I kind of have a love-hate relationship with Harmony Korine. I haven't seen Spring Breakers because of the the taste that Trash Humpers left in my mouth. Oh, it's nothing um, like it's nothing like that. I, you know, yeah, I don't expect it to, to be, but I think you know, there's uh, there it's come and go. Like uh, Julian Donkey Boy was like half good, half bad, and. And, uh, it's, it's very cinematic, Spring Breakers. You know, uh, it's it doesn't feel experimental. It's it's very, like I said, I was very very surprised at how how really great um, it managed to be. Very artistic, and like uh, there's images that just kind of hung out in my head uh, from it. There's a scene where the girls rob a um, diner, I think it was, and the scene is shot from the car. They never leave the car. The girls leave the car to go rob it mm-hmm. but the camera never leaves the car and the chick that's the driver the wheel girl is just circling the restaurant the whole time so you see this robbery happen uh in the circles in this car i've, I've never seen them do something like that you remember in drive where it's like all those scenes in drive of all this stuff going on was in the car you know and it's like you see these car chase but it's in the car this is actually better than that um, they they do that robbery from you know and you you're sitting in the car with her when it's going on it's fucking cool. I'll have to toss that on the list. I've been kind of hesitant, but I keep hearing you say that it's super good. So. Don't listen to me. Listen to John Waters, who named it as number one. I know why John Waters likes it. It's because it's a ju- it's a juvenile delinquent. Yeah, that's that's, that's his wheelhouse. Yep, his bread and butter. Yep, so Spring it. Breakers, number dose from Mr. Gonzarific. Mark the movie man, give me your number two and not your poopy. Yeah. <laughs> um, my number two. Um, see, this is tough because I've actually seen some pretty decent films this year. I will have to say, uh, I'll throw it out there, Billy Club was, was my number two for this year because it's still stuck with me now. Um, I just really enjoyed it. Uh, I was hoping it, it was everything that I had hoped it was when I saw the trailer for it a while ago. Saw it at the Ashkosh Horror Film Festival, um, and I just I did. I really enjoyed this film quite a bit. Uh, a lot better than I, in all honesty, it was a lot better than I thought it would be, uh, considering the material, you know, and um, the fact that it was this indie film and that they made something that looked very production high production value for an indie film like this uh, really surprised me as well. So, you know, I liked the, the idea of the slasher. I thought it was it was an original guy. I liked the uh, set, especially what they had for uh, Billy Club's lair, if you will. Um, <laughs> you know, just I just liked everything about it. You, you know, it, it really got me, and, and it just was a fun <coughs> film. And, again, it was just... It was better than what I expected it was going to be. You know, I, I loved Blood Junkie, but the way it looked uh, and, and just the, the overall visuals of it 
uh, the, the quality of that. They were going for that 80s style film, and, and they captured it with Blood Junkie. But in the same respect, when I saw Billy Club, I'm like, okay, we're, we're going to get kind of more of the same, but they didn't. It was actually, I thought, uh, uh, an elevated. You could see improvements, things that they learned from the first one were brought to this one and improved upon. And, and yeah, so for me, Billy Club was uh, my number two. Again, these are in no really particular order, but Billy Club was one right. of the ones. I also was pretty impressed. I thought they did a great job. A Blood Junkie is such a fun, fun movie. Um, uh, so, you know, it was an enjoyable time for, mm-hmm. you know, most slashers nowadays are so run-of-the-mill and so boring that... Um, it had a lot more going on with it, so yeah, that was a good one. I enjoyed it. Yeah. So Billy Club number two. Yeah, he uh, did so Are we th- onto the number one? I think so. Well, yeah, I think we. I think we might be. <laughs> All right, our last, yeah, our last pick. Um, so okay, well, I'll uh, I'll go first, and uh, my my number one pick, which was surprising to me completely, um, because I didn't see Drive. <laughs> the last uh, Nicholas Ruffin film that I saw was Valhalla Rising, and I thought well, that was one of the most pointless movies I had ever seen. And so when everyone started, yeah, here talking, it comes. We had an, yeah, when we had an episode, <laughs> <laughs> we had an episode with Mr. Don Thacker who couldn't wrap his head around why anyone would like Only God Forgives, and then Andrew had the most diametrically opposed opinion to that. <laughs> I'm like, there's something there. I gotta see this one. And I gotta say, I fucking loved Only God Forgives. I thought it was really well done. I thought, you know, it did. It wasn't over-talky. It, it, it told its story through images. The last frame of the film, when it said it was for Alexander uh, Jodorowsky. It tells you everything that film was about in that one frame, right there. You weren't supposed to sit and take away from it a solid story. You were supposed to revel in, in beautiful images that elicited emotions and feelings in you that maybe you weren't able to explain or understand, but it, it took you to a place that you hadn't been before, and that, I, at least me, I enjoyed being there. At times it was very brutal and very disgusting and subversive, but at other times it was gorgeous and hypnotic and, and uh, it was meditative. And uh, it reminded me a lot of 70s-era Argento and Bava with striking primary colors and and long, you know, dolly shots pushing in or and uh, it was it was phenomenal. I loved it. I loved the juxtap- juxtaposition between uh, the cop character and uh, the lead. There, the two characters were so opposed, yet they were kind of one in the same in in very odd ways. I loved it. I thought it was a really great film, but not a film. I can totally understand why some people wouldn't dig it. But as a film, a fan of fringe cinema and experimental cinema, and cinema that that likes to push boundaries and not be exactly what you expect it to be, only God forgives for a big budget movie. Phenomenal! I thought it was a really great movie. Well, you know, I loved it, dude. I did a whole episode <laughs> on my show about it, and it was almost a reaction episode because I was like, there are people in my life that are artists that hated it, and I'm like. An artist hates only God forgives. I mean, this movie's a work of art, you know. But I, being a person that watches as many movies as I do, 
I've kind of gotten to where I, you know, it's weird. It's like, you know, the early surrealists would go to movies just for the setups and they'd leave when the plot would kind of kick in, you know, because what Mm -hmm. they're interested in only is what they're doing kind of visually and stylistically. And once you get too much into plot, they're like, fuck it, I don't care, I check out. Yeah. My least favorite parts of the movies, usually, unfortunately, uh, are the parts with all the explanation, all the resolution and things like that. And uh, Only God Forgives... What I could, what I arrived at is why I love it so much. It's, it's everything I love about movies, and the shit that I don't really care for isn't in it at all. It's just the meat, the good shit, and none of the other stuff. And I'm sorry, but some of it is some. I just don't care about plot sometimes. I, mean, <laughs> I really just I don't care if things make sense or not. You know, I, that that's not a big. You know, to me, making sense is really overrated in movies. You know, people are like, "Oh, what the hell was that?" I'm like, the fuck do you care? This is movies. Did None you walk real. away with a feeling? Did it yeah. leave you with an emotion? That's more. That's more, more important. But it's not that important to everybody. Here's the thing, man. And this is the point I made on my show, but I'll make it again. The the the, the key is is that Yodorowsky name at the end because Yodorowsky said a bird's born in a cage think flying is an illness. That's a direct quote from him, and he's made a lot of weird quotes about his balls and things like that. But that was a, <laughs> that was a time when I think Yodorowsky made a really good point is because we are spoon fed. We are used to a steady diet of three act structure. We're used to plot resolution. We're used to character development. We're used to seeing all this stuff. So when we see something like this, our first thought may be revulsion because it's so different. You know, we're like, I see Ryan Gosling. He's a guy who, you know, has resolution and stuff like that. But there's a scene in Only God Forgives, I'm not giving too much away here, where this big fight scene starts between the main character and the main bad guy, and he gets ass-handed to him in a minute. Yeah, yeah. How fucking great was that? You know? Yeah. But how totally many times have we seen the guy kick the ass? We mm-hmm. don't need to see that. I don't want to see that. I don't give a fuck about it. I want to see something, you know, something different. Make me remember it. Only God forgives, man. I had somebody, the dumbest thing anybody said to me about that movie was, all right, explain to me why it's good and don't talk about the visuals. Like, all right, well, you tell me why. <laughs> That's the point. You, you tell me why Bob Dylan is good, but take away the lyrics. Tell me why Bob Dylan's good. Yeah. Right. It's the dumbest right. ass it's, shit. It's the See, language of that film. It's totally the language of that film. And one of the things that I loved about it was was how much it played on opposites through the film. Like the cop character, he's this brutal, stoic kind of uh, you know hard ass. And then as soon as after he kills somebody because he's kind of like going and exterminating people to find Ryan Gosling. He's at a karaoke bar singing the most beautifully delicate songs. That was so and good. It I love so those scenes so much because they, they're the way they're shot. They're, like everything is so lush in the in every single shot. There is just so much to look at, and you have this very like very dainty, pretty song that he's singing. We're just like, oh man, I loved it. I, it was yeah, no, it's it's go for broke cinema, dude. And you know, as much as the people talk about, like, I hate remakes. I want only original things. Why is there no originality? Look what the stuff they rally behind, man. Look what the stuff that they all like. They're like, this is the greatest thing ever, Cabin in the Woods. Like, you know, like, come on, man. Really, you're gonna hate on a movie this original because you don't get it. Like, uh, maybe maybe give yourself a chance to get it and stop that. When people are like, I don't understand the way Hollywood's going, 
You don't really want good movies, do you? Not really. Not so much. You don't really want good movies. Well, the, the definition of good movies to most people and the definition of good movies to us are wildly different. I'm saying what they act like they want yeah. and what they say they want. When they get it, they don't. They, they spit <laughs> it right out, don't they? They really right. do. They don't right. get behind it. So, fuck it. We don't, I don't understand, but I'm glad you picked that as number one, man. I'm glad you like that because I remember when... Uh, Oh, he was hating on that movie so much. I almost didn't open my mouth in that episode. <laughs> I I could you know? see, I could tell, because I can see. Because for for the listeners, we do this in a Google Hangout, so I can see everybody's face. That's why I do it in this as opposed to like Skype, so I can actually see everybody, and it feels like I'm actually having a conversation with people. And I could see you, you, I could see you biting your lip that entire episode, and I'm like, ooh, there's there's something brewing in there. But uh, yeah, and I'm not here to debate nobody, no. but man, I just had to throw in there. That's one of the best movies I've seen all year. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm really happy with it. Mark, did you end up checking it out? Yeah, I did. I actually reviewed it for my show. Um, it was one of those I got what they were going for. It didn't grab me like a lot of people. Uh, I, I did get all the visuals and everything, and, and the thing they were doing with the red light, they had kind of a thing going on there with you know emotions and that and the visuals. So I, I wasn't quite into it like a lot of people. Uh, but I did get what they were going for, and I appreciated it for that, for someone doing something completely different, especially with a big name like Ryan Gosling, to be doing a film like that that really isn't made for mainstream, spoon-fed folks, like you guys were saying. You know, I give him respect for that as well, for doing something like that. Just, you know, where he's at in his career, a lot of actors may not do that, and he went ahead and made a movie like God Forgives. So, you know, especially coming after off of Drive, which everybody just, you know, loved Drive. And then he makes this, and everybody were like, huh? Yeah, <laughs> and people, you know people like? wanted, an, they wanted another Drive out of it. Yeah. And that, that I think, was a lot of huge Drive fans that were the people that shitted on it the most. And I'm just, Derek, did you listen to the commentary that with Nicholas Winding Ref in the commentary? No, it I really didn't get a good. chance to listen to it. You know what yeah. it reminds me of, like, the direction that uh, Nicholas Reffin is going with, kind of like the Beck syndrome, where Beck would, Beck would make his popular kind of Odelay stuff, and then he'd go make mutations. And then he'd yeah, come dude, back. So, one for you, one for me. Yep. A lot yep, of times they make the one for you so they can make the ones for me, you know? And that's where you find out that's where their their heart lies. But I, yeah, get that, man. I, I got, Amazon had one of those, like, you know, flash sales where you got it, like, I got Blue Riff at seven ninety nine. dollars something oh, like that. Oh, dude. So it was, uh, you know, I couldn't wait to listen to it because I, you know, I kind of want to know, you know, what he was thinking because even though I love it, I got my impression I'd like to oh, know. Yeah. You know, because that doesn't change what it means to me, but uh, it's like the opposite experience you had with Rob Zombie's commentary. I think you're going to really dig the stuff that he says in there. It's, it adds it adds more to it, really. I want to check that out. I usually don't like listening to commentaries on movies like that. Like, like I'm kind of <laughs> glad David Lynch never does commentaries on his movies because I kind of like having his films live in my headspace and mean their own things to me. Uh, I mean, like, like I don't ever want to know exactly what Mulholland Drive, which I know he he doesn't even know exactly what that movie means. Yeah. But I never want to hear an explanation as to what that means because I know what it means to me. I know what I walked out with and what my brain came up with, and oh, that's yeah. kind of 
that's the same thing with this film. I think it's it's an intentional what the fuck you feel and experience this film, and your if your feeling is to is to reject it, well then that's a valid feeling. Mm-hmm. But if your feeling is to embrace it and go along for the ride, and then you come out the other side, I mean it's totally all valid. That's what art is. It's oh objective. yeah, no. I, I said it in my review that um, it's one of those films. Only God forgives is one of those films where. It puts pieces in front of you. It's up to you to what you get out of it and how you put it together. I mean, it's one of those, it's visual scenes, and he is telling a story in there, but really what you get out of it is you. He's not telling you what you should be feeling. He's not telling you this is how it should be. He's just presenting these things to you and you leaving it up to the audience to really put together what it what it's supposed to mean, what it's supposed to present, what what is of the visuals that he's presenting, how is it actually supposed to come together. And like you said, Derek, you know, some people reject that because they got to think too hard or pay attention to a film. I think films, immediately, if you have to pay attention to a film, you lose half your modern audience right now. Uh, it's it just a simple fact, you know. Right. Well, yeah, because they're on their phone and they're like, what just happened? Like, it wouldn't matter if you're on your phone or not, dude. <laughs> no. movie's just, yeah. It's not for you. They don't see stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Like, half the people, no. most of the people that watch that won't know who Yudorowski is, haven't seen Holy Mountain, haven't seen El Topo, Topo. you know, yeah. and so they're not going to know, they're not going to understand it. It's just going to seem too weird to them. And, you know, it's their loss, man. It's like the people who listen to jazz and go, like, the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, yeah, can't explain. I just want to. I just want to clarify that I'm not coming down on anybody that, that rejects it. No. I, I think rejecting a film like this is valid. You mm-hmm. you you can have that, and I'm not going to look down on that. You you make a film like this, it is a dividing line, and it's purposefully that way. That you're either it, it's either going to draw you in or it's not going to draw you in, and it's not like a pretty straight laced film where you can objectively stand by and say, you know what, this yeah, this is what they're going for. They're just not hitting the marks, and this is garbage. I think this is the kind of film where you're supposed to stand and look at it, and it's either for you or, or it's not for mm-hmm. you, and, and that's that. So either side is perfectly valid in my standpoint. Do I agree with it? No, 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 no. I thought it was an amazing film. So yeah. let's move on. Otherwise, we could just keep going on and on about <laughs> this for the and rest of the night. One of those films you could keep going on and on about. So. And that's what's great about yeah. it. You can't deny the mm-hmm. power that it that it has to spark conversation. So only God forgives. All right, let's let's move on. Andrew, give me your final film. Oh, my number one movie for 2013 is uh, is Stoker, and I really love. Oh. Uh, I really love Sean Wook Park's other movies. You know, I'm a big fan of Thirst. I forget who mentioned it in uh, the last episode I was on with you guys, but I was like, oh, Thirst, I don't even really like, because, you know, there's Black Killers every, yeah, yeah. every other vampire movie, right? But, um, <laughs> you know, I I love, you know, I love Old Boy. I love all this stuff. But mm-hmm. Stoker's, Stoker's his first English-language movie and, um, you know, there's a big, big thing about, you know, foreign directors, successful foreign directors coming and doing an English-language movie with, uh, with um, you know, American actors or whatever. You know, Nicole Kidman is in it. That's a big, uh, big name. And so there's, you know, there's kind of a lot was riding on, on it. And um, I'm going to say I think it's his best movie. And mm-hmm. it, to me, I mean, on the surface... You could just like throw a blanket over and go, well, it's Shadow of a Doubt, Hitchcock Shadow of a Doubt. It's got a lot in common with it, and that's true. But um, it's a, it shows the difference between like a guy who's just like 
you know, good good filmmaker in his own language. And a lot of times, that doesn't that doesn't really you know, like a John Woo start making American movies. Something just didn't really do it. Yeah. Know? Something just about what he was doing just didn't carry over. It's either that or they just do the same thing that they were doing before. But he's he's such a, a diverse talent, right? That um, I I wouldn't have looked for him to sort of repeat his successes or make another old boy or anything like that. No. Fucking Stoker, that movie is a true blue classic to me. Um, it's a suspense and it's creepy as hell. It's not the kind of filmmaking that people are really necessarily doing now, indie or otherwise. Um, it goes places, you know, with the kind of incest and stuff to a point where, you know, we're not revulsed by that like we're supposed to be. We kind of want to see certain things happen. But there is a scene uh, where the main character is in the shower. And um, what where they go with that, based on the scene before it, You've never seen a shower scene end up like what happens. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, structurally, man, I just it's airtight to me. It's just mm-hmm. it's just perfect. And I'm you know, I love my favorite stuff is B movies and stuff like that, but I do really love uh, I, I really like Hitchcock and my favorite Hitchcock stuff is the most pitch black stuff that he did. And uh, to me, this really kind of stands as like an heir apparent to, you know, they'll, uh, I forget who said it, but someone was saying like the Bourne movies are the modern day equivalent to Hitchcock things. But I, I really don't agree. I, I, I think that Stoker really takes the mantle. Um, and it's not not in a throwback kind of a way, not in a, hey, we're trying to make an old movie kind of way, but it's seriously like just what I would call a modern classic. I, I almost can't, I had a hard time writing about it, to be honest with you. I liked mm-hmm. it that much to where That's I could awesome. kind of not find the words. I even now I feel like I'm struggling to describe it adequately. I'm not doing it justice. I'm not... I can't really adequately convey, and that's tough for me because this is my job. You know, I'm <laughs> supposed to, I'm supposed to be able to do this, but I have a hard time saying what it is about Stoker uh, that drew me in, except for like my number one choices in years past have been. Um, sometimes it's like it could have been two, could have been three, whatever. But there was a huge jump with Stoker and everything else that I saw all year long. That's awesome. I have, I've yet to see it, but I'm, I'm a huge uh, Park fan. I, I've loved all his films. Um, and he's one of those, like you said, where, you know, he's not doing things over and over and over again. Each of his films are wildly different than each other. Even in the Vengeance trilogy, uh, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Old Boy couldn't be further apart sure. other than just, like, tonally they're both very dark, but yeah, Old but Boy you know, is a little goofy. It is, but, you know, in Korean cinema, you know, you see a lot of times these kind of abrupt shifts in tone. You know, and it's I, a lot of time I just thought it was my Western sensibility, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of like I was like, well, things don't all the time have to just follow the same feel or whatever. But sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, you got to you got to admit there's some wild shifts that go on. Like The Host is a good example yeah. of a movie where there's this shit where it's like soul crushing one minute and stupid yeah. the next. Yes. And you're like, yes. going, wait, man, I'm trying to feel something here. <laughs> and you know, this is really not, you know, it's it's like in, uh, you know, like in I Can Do Battle by Myself when Medea shows up. You're like, fucking, you can't have. Carrot Top and Schindler's List. Just <laughs> let's pick something here. Korean stuff. I find it's typical. Uh, the tonal shifts and yeah. um, Park. He's one of the ones that just he really. I can't think of anybody else that kind of isn't able to do that. I consider Park at this point after Stoker. He's a master. 
to me, I would say he's definitely a master. You can't look at that body of work he's got, and then, you know, if this, if Stoke ended up being the period at the end of the sentence, if he bites it, never makes anything else. I mean, he's just, he's got it locked down. Nothing he's got a solid body of work, man. He was that yeah. way for me after Lady Vengeance. I think Lady Vengeance is, God, is an man. amazing film. So, so good. You know, before I, you know, when I was getting ready to see the uh, Spike Lee old boy, I was like, well, you know, should I watch, uh, you know, because I got the whole trilogy. I got a really good deal on the Blu-ray of the trilogy. So I was like, should I rewatch? Should I do this? Or should I just go in and check it out? And I ended up watching all three. I never went to the fucking movie. It wasn't that I didn't <laughs> want to see it, but I, like, I spent all night watching. You know, yeah. that was what happened. I never you made it out of my house. So, mm. you know, and eventually I'll, I'm sure I'll see it. But, man, he just, yeah, I got Stoker number one for me, 2013. You know, it just, it's, uh, it's to me one of the ones that, like, in, in years to come, I won't remember the years that movies came out. I won't remember what my top ten was or whatever. But yeah. I'm gonna know that Stoker is one of my favorite movies. I'm just I'm not gonna forget it. It's a good ass fucking movie. I can't wait to see it. I've been looking forward to that one for a while. So, Mr. Mark the Movie Man. Last but not least, here we go. Drum roll, please. Oh no. See again, these lists are these lists are horrible. I leave because I see so many good ones. Um, <laughs> I recently saw it. I had a privilege of seeing it. it. It's one that's trying to make a bid for Oscars, and I think it's totally deserved and under uh, n- not being appreciated. It's called Short Term Twelve. It's this uh, film. It's a drama and an independent film that these guys shot, and it's basically about a a foster care facility where that that's run by you know the city it, it's it's a public foster care facility and the reason it's called short term 12 is because kids are only supposed to be there for uh, a year and some of them are there longer and these are the kids that the parents either can't take care of don't want you know they they've lost both their parents there's just something wrong with the kid so you've just got this group of kids that are from different backgrounds, different mentalities, everything. And all it is is told about a story of uh, this 20-something girl who, along with her boyfriend, um, who they're they're secretly dating, just are in charge of supervising the kids. They aren't supposed to uh, console them. They're just supposed to make sure they stay safe until the state decides what to do with the kids. And the way this film was shot, if you hadn't told me these kids were actors... I would have thought they this was like a documentary of a facility like this. The way it starts out, the the performances from the kids was amazing. I, I hadn't seen something genuine like that from kid actors. Uh, but not only that, the main character, um, she's been in a number of films. I, I forgot her name offhand right now, but um, I'm horrible <coughs> with names. So... Uh, but she was fantastic because as the movie goes along, you learn stuff about her and a new girl shows up at the facility and it brings back demons from this twenty the supervisor's own past. So that brings things to the surface. And you find out that she's a product of the foster care system and her boyfriend's a product of the foster care system and they both have different experiences. And there's so much going on in this film and it's shot... You know, independent, not a high budget, so it's shot documentary style. But you don't have massive shaky camera to sure. give you your realistic. You know, I'm Man of Steel. I'm talking about you. You know, to give that realistic. <laughs> you mean 
You mean real documentary film. Like real documentary <laughs> Like, <laughs> I mean, and it's not. It's a fictional work. This whole thing is a fictional, fictional work. But the way it's shot, the way it's performed, there's very realistic performances in here. There's very little in the dialogue that seems cliche or put in there on purpose. You know, everybody is very genuine in this film, and that's what threw me back because I had heard about it. I'm like, okay, and I started watching this, and I'm like, wow. And, you know, and I had to look stuff up because I didn't know anything about this film. And I look it up and I go, oh, those are all actors, and they've been in all kinds of things before, the kids, you know. And I'm like, wow. And then the director, the way he handled it, he had his kind of moving camera like they do for documentary-type style. But it wasn't distracting at all. It, it was done properly. Everything in this film was just done the way you want it to be done for a drama film to feel like it's real, even though it's a fictional work, to feel like this is actual. You know. And, and I read some interviews and some comments about it, and there was someone who said, yeah, it, it, some of it was put overblown a little bit, but not too much. Someone said they grew up in one of these facilities, and they said it was one of the most closest portrayal of what goes on in these facilities and, and goes on with these kids and these people. And, and in general, I mean, I just, I was blown away by it. I was surprised of just how good it was and how uh, real it felt for a, a work of fiction like that. So that that's my number one. It's not a horror, it's a drama. I do watch dramas, uh, but uh, yeah, it just it, it's one of those that still stuck with me like days later. You know, it was one of those where I was still thinking about it. I was like, ah, you know, and some great performances and just some stuff that was in there that just was amazing. It was really good. And they're trying to do an um, Oscar bid for it, and it's not getting the attention yet. You know, they're trying to get the attention of it, and it deserves it. You know, I mean, I, I'd watch 10 of these types of films versus the ones that are going to get nominated, probably, you know. So, uh, yeah, that's mine. Uh, independent film, short term 12. That's oh. awesome. There's yeah. nothing wrong with watching dramas, dude. That's what Astro Radio Z is about, and what all of our lists are about. I want it to be genre free i want it to be about film it's not just i may, my taste may lie in the exploitation and horror genres but uh i'm a film fan first and foremost yeah. so yeah. Th don't ever feel bad about that no when i went to see uh blue is the warmest color at a uh, at cine they had a trailer for for that one mark and i was yeah. just like i was like shit i'm so glad i'm going to get to see it on the big screen we're going to get it in january <laughs> so i knew i wouldn't get to see it before uh, you know, Oscar oh, time, I, unfortunately. I, but. I hope I didn't ruin it too much for you. I wasn't trying to no, get no. too much play about it. But, uh, no, you didn't. You uh, sold it, dude. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it did. It was one of those surprise films, you know, and I love going into a film not knowing what's going on, and I think part of the problem, too, nowadays, and it's one of my long rants that I have, a, you could do a whole show on, is what they show now in movie trailers and, and promotions oh. for the films where you know nearly everything about the film by the time it comes around. And this one, I knew nothing about it. I just knew uh, one of the guys who runs We Live Film, he was like, hey, we got this screener. Do you want to watch it? I'm like, yeah, I'm up for watching anything. <laughs> Mark, you, you you're know? so easy. You're so easy. easy. All they got to do easy. is say, hey, I got a screener. Yeah. Yeah, I'll watch it. I'll watch it. I'll watch I don't it. care what it is. <laughs> I don't care what it is, but... 
it was just one of those. Show, I'll watch it. <laughs> I, I sat there afterwards, and it, it was. It was one of those films that got that emotional reaction out of me, and I just went, wow. You know, it, it, and the way it ended and everything, I just, it was like, that was a good movie, you know? I mean, that was, it was just one of those really, that touched you films, and, and, and everybody does a great performance, and like you said, it felt genuine. You, you don't get a lot of movies that feel as really genuine, you know, people are doing it because they like it, in the big screen, you know, in, in the bigger released films, so. Yeah, I think uh, Beast of Southern Wild is one of the few I can remember recently that uh, mm-hmm. felt that way to me, because, and, you know, I got to interview the people that made it on my show, and I was mm-hmm. like, they sure. all they all quit their jobs and made that movie, so that <laughs> yeah. was the real shit, you know. It yeah, really that's was. where it's at, dude. So, so that was my number one, so. Awesome. I think we, there was some really great stuff tonight. And now for an intermission. Go get some milk duds and drink orange juice from the container. Who cares if there's backwash? Let those savages you live with know who's boss. One who prowls the lonely streets at night in life is bound to prowl them in eternity. John Cross. You may know me from the internet. <laughs> then again, you may not. I've been asked by the incomparable Mo Porn from that famous podcasting institution, Drunk on VHS, to say a few words in promotion of his show and drunkonvhs.com as it's coming back to the internet and we're all really thrilled. I'm not quite sure why Mo couldn't do it himself, but there it is. It's not like I was busy or anything. In fact, I lie around my apartment in just my Power Ranger underpants, waiting for his lordship Mo Porn to set me a task that only ultimately benefits him. Clearly he had other far more pressing matters to attend to. Maybe he was doing a series of pictograms depicting his favourite bacon-based stains. Who knows? It's Mo. He could be cataloguing the number of appearances of a dwarf's nipple from a black-and-white underground abuse movie of the 1960s. He could be lining up his Burt Reynolds video covers in order of ludicrous facial poses and wig status. Clearly it's much easier if I stop everything I'm doing, audiobooks, interviewing Robert Davy, performing acts of pleasure on a photograph of Miami Bialik, the actress from Blossom, to tell you all that Drunk on VHS is back. Follow Drunk on VHS 
us on Facebook, Twitter, and read articles and listen to brand new shows every week on drunkonvhs.com. Now leave me alone, Mo. Well, unless you need me to guest, in which case I'm your man. <laughs> Did you wash your hands after going potty? Good. Now back to the show. Let's do a quick lightning round of some honorable mentions. Uh, if, if you guys had any, now let's just make this not necessarily just about this year. Um, let's just make it honorable mentions of some great movies that you watched uh, this year. Uh, and I guess I'll start it off real quick because I actually had a list of some stuff that I had watched that uh, I was pretty blown by about. And yeah, some of this I'm gonna I'm gonna help promote some of my bros here. Um, <laughs> I, I I got to see uh, I was lucky enough to get a pre-screener of uh, my friend Dustin Mills' new film, uh, Ballad of Skinless Pete. It's a yes. it's a complete ode back to kind of like reanimator style science horror. Mm-hmm. Um, it's super fun. I would go check it out if you're into like reanimator and and goofy horror done totally straight laced. I loved it. it. I thought it was a great film. Also, I'll say two other quick films. I got a VHS copy finally of Ninja Terminator, and that movie is <laughs> fucking unbelievable. If you've never seen Ninja Ter- Terminator. Stop everything you're doing right now. Just go to YouTube. It's on YouTube. It's fucking everything that these jokers nowadays try to do to pass off as a goof. Ninja film, Ninja Terminator is that. And it's (laughs) genuine. And it was made because it's a Godfrey Hall movie. So Ninja Terminator, a fucking amazing film. And my last one, I just saw it a couple weeks ago. (laughs) Jean Rollins, uh, Schoolgirl Hitchhikers, is everything that I love about his movies put into a goofy stew pot of 90 minutes of pure nonsense TNA. I freaking loved that movie. There, It's just, most people are going to hate it and think it's just smut, but it's just, it was like the perfect elixir of sleaze for me. I I loved it. It's just fucking phenomenal. Schoolgirl Hitchhikers, it's on Netflix. You have no reason not to go watch it if you like seeing beautiful women naked rolling around together. Wait, school, wait, school girls. Hitchhikers. 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 Oh. Thumbs up. So those okay. are my honorable right, mentions there go. for the year. Andrew, give me your honorable mentions if you have. Them. Oh yeah, I do. I mean, I, you know, I do. I do a top ten every year. So you know, the other the other movies that fell uh, on the list were uh, Blue is the Warmest Color, uh, mm-hmm. The Brass Teapot, um, movie Wrong, Only God Forgives, you know, stuff like that. But I gotta say, man, a movie I saw recently that um, kind of really took me by surprise. I'd never even heard of it. Just showed up on Netflix. Is called. Zombie ass. Oh, oh damn it! Damn it! You haven't seen it yet. Damn it! Zombie ass. Toilet of the dead. Yes. You just made Mark come. All right. So it looks like Mark has either seen it and loved it, or I've seen it. Yes, I have seen it. Well, nobody. Why didn't you tell me, dude? I mean, when were you gonna? When were you gonna mention how Mark is? It was gonna be on my list. uh, Honorable mentions. (laughs) Okay. Well, well, look, look here, fellas. Uh, Let me say this about that. Uh, You know, we we mentioned Manborg earlier in the show, and about you know this kind of lo-fi green screen, et cetera, et cetera. But really when we started seeing this stuff, it was not in the United States, but in the uh, the J-video stuff, like uh, Machine Girl 
mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo Gore Police, stuff like that, where it was all of a sudden like, you know, Gwar was now the biggest influence on videos or something like that. Uh, and their style of special effects. But, um, you know, a lot of this stuff, it just it couldn't sustain a running time. The concept didn't pan out. Uh, it wasn't quite what uh, you wanted it to be. Uh, the only exception to that really was a movie called, well, Sexual Parasite, uh, Killer Pussy is the name of it, mm-hmm. uh, from many years ago. And yeah. Killer Pussy, it, it's, it did have um, some really, really, it was really kind of starting to do something, and there's a scene where the vagina eats a guy's face off. So, but they just, again, it couldn't through the running time, um, it didn't really kind of, it couldn't, it couldn't sustain, it couldn't do it. Zombie Asses, I would say, is the first time where it's kind of a real kind of escalation from beginning to end. Things get more and more unbelievable as they go, you know, not unlike... (laughs) Not That's unlike, awesome. uh, you know, it is the it is really the dead alive of butthole zombie movies. I would have to say, because <laughs> there's, wow. a yes. there's a yeah. box quote. Yeah, yeah, you can uh, pull that, pull that. No, um, <laughs> it's it's got your dookie humor. It's got your shit stuff. It's got your fart stuff, like you would kind of expect. But um, what I, what I didn't expect uh, was just how much like really originality was on, uh, on display there, and it wasn't just like look at how gross we're being. But it was quite outlandish what was going on, and uh, the the creativity involved in a movie called Zombie Ass. Um, it is more than what you think you're gonna want. Yeah. Uh, it goes past any any expectation you might have. And for a guy like me, who's seen a lot of shit, who watches a ton of shit, to just sit there with a movie and your mouth, oh. Yes. I mean, my jaw was yes. slack. I couldn't believe, and it's not just—it's not just gross out because I—I no. I think like mm-hmm. Poultry Geist is probably the grossest movie I've ever seen. Like, it's make you want to throw up type of stuff. They're not going for that. They're sticking mm-hmm. with their concept. They're sticking with their story. They're sticking with the knowing their movie is called Zombie Ass. They're not fucking around, and they—they. St- they, you no, just won't believe it. And nothing I say here in the show, none Mark's about to say, no. is going to get you ready for what happens <laughs> there. <laughs> I love it. I, I can't wait to check this out. I think another film that was like that along those same lines was the you know the same people that made you know Tokyo Gore Police, but the Machine Girl I thought was also something that 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 built to something. I liked that movie a lot. I thought oh, no, it was it's really good, fun. but yeah. still like it still didn't do like even at the end of Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl, where yeah, that interesting That was pretty showdown. fun too. It that was, was <laughs> but still it just doesn't you know, there's parts of the movie you could miss it and still you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, I, uh, I, I do appreciate the hand cannon. It actually shot hands, and when it did that, the, the, he pulled out the gun and shot hands. They're like, "Holy shit! It's a hand cannon! It, it's an no, actual." There Wait, was a, no. Yeah, there was a part was in that, that movie. I, I remember when uh, the guy's legs are amputated, and then he uses the the blood spray to shoot off in the air like a rocket. Yeah, yeah th- there were there was crazy shit in those movies, but that's just the thing. It's a yeah. lot of a collection of things they wanted to see. Yeah. A collection of yeah. gags. Where zombie ass is not a collection of gags. It will make you gag. But it is a it is a it's sincerely got a plot to it and it but yet still it's married to that zombie ass and it, it sticks <laughs> with it by God. That's good to it, hear because I really didn't enjoy Robo Geisha as much as I no. thought. No, and again, it's it's just another movie where there's gross shit that happens in it, but you can seriously 
tell me something. I mean, it all runs together. You can't remember which movie it was from. Yeah. Zombie ass. Yeah. There's, not, there's nothing in there that nothing. Any of this yeah. Other stuff. Yeah. Totally. No way. But, but it was a commentary too. I think zombie ass is. There's another level there where they're making a commentary. I think about Asian cinema in general. Yes, they are. The, it, it's uh, you know, and I'm watching this at first, and I'm like, okay, this is just kind of zany. And I'm watching it, and there's like you said, they're sticking with it throughout the whole thing. And suddenly, I'm like, this is parroting every crazy Asian film that has been made. They're playing to the cliche. This isn't trying to be a crazy, zany Asian film. This is poking fun at them and taking every element that you that ever made your jaw drop in an Asian film and put into one and then magnified. And you don't see it coming. You don't see whatever you think is going to happen or whatever you think the story's about. That's not what it's about. Yeah, it's but, interesting. But it's definitely a commentary on their, I think on their culture too, just just in general where their cinema is at. You're, you're totally right on that, Andrew. Yeah, I mean it's it's a very sharp, you know, it's weird. I wouldn't have thought I'm going to use the word zombie ass and sharp satire in the same breath, but I mean it it, it really really is because uh you, know, you can go extreme with it and go like oh, I'm going to one up all this other stuff. That doesn't make a movie. No. It just doesn't. And uh No. I mean, I think it was the Army of Buttholes scene. Where <laughs> I, just, yes! I can't believe I just when, heard that. When you when you, as a genre fan, can say, "I've never seen that," yes. so many times in one movie, I think it. I think that's some merit to that. And again, it's it's not just about gags. It's it's about sticking to your concept oh, until yeah. it, it had a just, purpose. It was it had a setup. It had a purpose. It wasn't a random. And none of the acts in there were random. We're just going to throw this in there like your more more modern, uh, you know, U.S. parody or whatever. Everything's set up. Everything. Is, is explained at least to you as far as it's you've never seen it before but it's set up it's not just put in there yeah just, and I'm I'm not being ironic I'm not saying I'm, I'm saying that Derek there is the face of the devil in a fart um, <laughs> yeah. I'm sold you guys had me at army of assholes I mean, yeah, you don't kind of sell this um, thing to me anymore I mean there is a decapitation that I have just never seen <laughs> Uh, and there is creature effects that, I mean, there's there's some CG obviously have to be. Um, really? I mean, you're. It just, it just all there's there's a lot of really great practical stuff in there too, though. Yeah. Um, cool. But just as a as an entire work, I just I was really I was expecting to kind of check in and out of it the way I do a lot of these things like you know haunted house of horrors or yeah. uh, there's one that was a, about a, a whorehouse and there was things to go on but you know there's I was expecting just to come away and go oh that was weird that was weird but yeah like the meatball machine that's exactly. the way I came, yeah. came away that one um, but really yeah this is really this is this is kind of a uh, comment I mean that's a good way to put it but it really is it's a satire without being uh, necessarily a parody right it's just it just did uh, I would it's it's more solid uh, with the amount of <laughs> diarrhea that's in it. It's a very solid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I I'm seriously, it's in my list. I can't yeah. wait to watch it. Fuck you guys for making me want to watch it so bad now. Because I have so many films I got to watch. I'm still trying to finish Cold Fish for Film Jerks. I I don't know how I'm going to fit this into my schedule. I got to watch it. Um, no, so. I the I think almost as shocking as the movie itself is the fact that I was on a show with one other person that is excited and shares my <laughs> view 
because most of my friends are like, that's not a real movie, is it, dude? <laughs> Trust me, Astro Radio Z harbors weirdos and stuff nobody else likes. So zombie ass is almost... No, as, as soon film. as I said it, he gave me like the facial equivalent of the high five. Yeah. <laughs> We're in a room together, he would have hugged me. It was a, that was a moment. It was a, it, was a, it was a moment. It was definitely really a moment. Did. So I'm, <laughs> I'm glad because otherwise I just, I expected to, you know, get like you know, like a dog that's just been shown a card trick. <laughs> to actually give movie like Zombie Ass credit for being a good movie yeah, is yeah, a little yeah. unusual. And to be honest, I yeah. was part of the experience and the shock of it. Uh, the most shocking thing of all was the fact that it was like actually decent. decent. Yeah, yeah, really. Mark, you didn't do your, yeah, your uh, honorable sorry. mentions. Um, my honorable mentions. I have a number of them. Uh, one of them. I have no qualms into admitting I enjoyed uh, Fast and Furious Six. It seems okay. to be a popular opinion. I, I, there's a lot of people that crap on that franchise. It's a franchise that actually got better as it's gone along because it embraced the stuff that people really ended up enjoying about it. It started off kind of dramatic, and now it's just this batshit crazy thing with cars. And while there's a lot of CGI, there's a lot of practical effects, and it's just fun. It it is total escapism. Just sit and watch the batshit crazy. It's It's like a superhero film with cars is what it's now gone to and it's a shame that uh paul walker what happened to him because um it's just a lot of fun i you know i sat down i knew i was expecting absolutely nothing and i sat back and enjoyed every crazy over the top batshit you know stunts that would never really work in the real world type of thing for that film. So I, I admit, I liked the Fast and Furious 6, and uh, that was an honorable mention. Another one, though, that was more serious that I just got to watch recently is uh, it's an independent film that the director sent me. It's going to hit the festival circuit. Uh, it's called A Measure of the Sin, and it, it's a serious piece, and it blew me away uh Mostly because, again, another one of those films I didn't know a lot about, but it looked interesting from uh, what I had seen, and it it caught me because of the subject matter and the way it was subtly creepy. It, it was a horror drama without any jump scares. It, it was a horror drama without any gore, yet the stuff that was talked about and the way it was presented was creepy and horrific, and especially at the end. Uh, and it was one of those films where I was just like, again, I sat there and I go, wow, did that just happen? Did that character just do that? You know, so that, that's one of those that really caught me off guard in a good way. And, uh, you know, it, it, it has a, it's not a, a completely perfect film, but it's definitely a, an, a unique and original film, I think, in, in presenting the subject that it was. It's basically about this girl who is being raised with other girls in this house by a very controlling man who uh, had conned her mother into being with him and is kind of almost a cult-type feel to it going on, and she's looking for a way out. And, and it was just the way it was presented was really well done, and so that that surprised me too. So uh, that's just a couple of my honorable mentions. There, there's others as well, but those were Zombie the two. Zombie ass. 
Zombie ass. We could go on forever. Zombie ass. As I'm looking through my letterbox right now, I could go on forever a bunch of different other stuff. But one one more I just gotta mention is my wife made me watch it and I couldn't believe I I hadn't watched it before. It's an old movie. Gaslight. Gaslight's uh, awesome. 19, hey. 1944, young Angela Lansbury, uh, Ingrid Bergman uh, got mm. her first Academy Award for it. I couldn't believe I hadn't seen all of it before. I might have seen bits and pieces, but I hadn't. That was one of those films I watched, and I'm like, they don't make shit like this that often anymore. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, 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 it grabbed me from the beginning, and Ing- Ingrid Bergman... Uh, her performance in that, you can see exactly why she got the Academy Award for it. She plays that character so beautifully and and just grabs you that whole film. I, Jill, my wife thought it was amazing that she'd never seen me sitting on the edge of my seat like this, leaning forward, just watching this film, wanted, you know, looking at what's happening next and every so often just going, I ha- can't believe I haven't seen this before. I can't That's believe awesome. I haven't seen this before. So... It was definitely one of those where if anyone wants to know, you know, an example of a classic, what's a truly a classic film, Gaslight was it. I mean, it had everything in it and just beautiful performances by everybody, but definitely her. You can see why she got that statue for it, her first one, because it was, especially coming off of Casablanca, uh, you know, it was a com- it was a different role for her completely. It wasn't a strong f- really strong female role. She was a very submissive character in it and just played it just perfectly. It just one of those pitch perfect films that you, you could watch again and again. You know, it doesn't get old. Even though it's, you know, 60 years old, 70 years old, it's still... <laughs> and a young Angela Lansbury in her, playing kind of a, a, a trollop type of maid. So, you <laughs> <know>. <laughs> she is awesome. Uh, Gaslight's awesome. You know, that's what's interesting, man, is it's like you know the the amount of like old movies I'll go and look at because I watch so much new ones for you know yeah. because of work and stuff. It's like uh, what I do after I watched uh, Man of Steel. I watched um, I watched The Misfits, right? Mm-hmm. Nice the Marilyn Monroe one. Sure, so that's I, a I got great that, movie. Mm-hmm. I got that Blu-ray set of, of Forever Marilyn. That Amazon did one of those one-day sales, or just get an unbelievable price on it. So I'm just like. I already had seven year itch, but I, you know, I just went ahead and got it the whole thing anyway. And I'd never seen uh, Misfits before, and fucking a, you know, uh, the, awesome the cons- movie. Yeah, the concerns I think they used to have when making a film were entirely different than the concerns yes. uh, on average that they have now, and the the kind of things that they wanted to, uh, the kind of story. Well, I shouldn't say the kind of. I think story and character were really a thing that people were really, really concerned with. And I you know, I do always talk about the seventies being my favorite. Like Tulane Blacktop, I'll watch that all day long. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, wanna try me, motherfucker? Uh, but it's <laughs> really but really though, you know, those old movies will, will blow you away and the older you get, the more shit you watch, the more modern shit you watch. The more stuff like Gaslight's gonna hit you're like, whoop awesome. Yeah. Well it, yeah. and there, there's you just a, forget, you know? 
you forget what it's like to have a movie that doesn't actually have a lot of locations, a lot of sets, a lot of effects. It really hangs on the performance of the actors to help carry the film and be entertaining. And and yeah, Gaslight did it for me. So that yeah, that's, that's my. That's the stuff that the indies, you know, should really be inspired by because, you know, limited location, few characters. I mean, that's the kind of stuff that that's, you know, that's within your uh, ability to do, right? Absolutely. And uh, yeah. that's the kind of stuff you should be inspired by. I mean, like me, uh, did you ever see Two Girls and a Guy, James Tobax, Two Girls and a Guy, Robert Downey Jr., Tasha Gregson Wagner, Heather Graham? Nobody? Mm, I didn't see that one. Fuck, that movie's good, you know? <laughs> and it's like three people in a house. Yeah. It's like, a, like the Japanese movie, A Man, Woman, and a Wall. You ever see mm. Man, Woman, and Wall? Mm-mm. You guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're failing him now. <laughs> no, no. No, no. Here, okay, let me, let me do this real quick. Man, Woman, and a Wall, before we end this show... It's, it's an Asian movie. It's about a guy who's obsessed with his neighbor... And so he bugs her house. And the movie is about what he's imagining she's doing as he is listening to through the wall as opposed to what's actually going on. <laughs> so there's, no, and and they, got a, they got a porn actress to play the woman because he imagines all type of all nasty, nasty shit, right? Oh, yeah. But what a great movie. Two apartments probably could have been shot in one. Mm-hmm. Um, three characters, basically. I you know right. I watched that and I'm like I really want to make a movie now I really yeah. want to make a movie now. That sounds great! I can't wait to see it. I wrote that yeah. fucker down right away. That yeah, sounds dude, great. Man, woman, and the wall is so good. It used to, it was on instant for forever, and then it went off, and I was like, "Fuck, where am I gonna get it?" Because I was watching it all the time on instant. You know. Let's let's wrap it up, boys. It's it's getting late. Uh, I think we're all getting a little little tired because we're old men's. Uh, I gotta take my cold medicine, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, see. So uh, I I want to I want to thank you, gents, for coming on this show. Obviously, sure. I want to thank you all for uh, just like hanging with me this year. After uh, after Corey left the show, I didn't quite know where it was going to go, what I was going to do, and I think it's a, it's very apparent the first uh, few episodes of this, and it feels like now after uh, this last half a year, like I feel like the the show finally kind of has a little steam to it. It feels like we kind of know what's going on, so I really appreciate uh, you guys. Obviously, that's why I had you guys come on this one, but uh, everyone that's been on the show this year, uh, I've had a lot of fun. Uh, been, been a kind of wild and crazy year. We're at the beginning of the year. We had a ton of, of guests and great filmmakers, and then uh, I decided, you know what, I just don't have time to seek out people. <laughs> and bring him on the show. So I just want to sit and talk to my bros, and uh, let's talk about movies and and have a good time. Bullshit. And and I'm glad uh, some people have been getting back to me that they've been enjoying it. It um, makes me feel good. So uh, I'll keep making the show. I'll keep doing it until uh, I decide that you know what, sleep's far more important to me. So so again, thanks everybody. Um, I'm Derek Carey. Uh, you can find me on the, the interwebs and Twitter and Facebook, and you can find Astro Radio Z also on Facebook. Please go like the page. Um, go over to the Tumblr page that I set up a few months ago. You'll find every episode of this new run of Astro Radio Z on there, including a bunch of the old episodes that I kind of cherry-picked that I thought were, 
really good uh, that you would enjoy, like interviews with uh, old drive-in legends like Ted B. Michaels and Herschel Gordon-Lewis, and an awesome interview that I still, and this is embarrassing, I'm going to say this, I still go back and listen to because I can't believe I did it, uh, that, I, that I did with Tim Ritter um, earlier this year, uh, one of my heroes that I, I just love, the guy, he's fucking awesome. But uh, go great. back, go listen to go listen to some classic Astro Radio Z. Uh, I appreciate everyone that that's been listening. Boys, do the pimpage. Andrew, go for it. Sell yourself, dude. Thank you for putting positive movie talk on the internet, man. The reason I keep coming back to this thing is because I like you. You know, I mean, I like Mark, but I'm just saying <laughs> it's good company. It's good discussion, and you guys aren't negative. And I, as a as a journalist, I I choose as a as a film journalist, I choose to focus on positive things and talk about stuff I like. And I like coming on here and you know, uh, get getting a little a piece of it. But uh, if you guys, anybody listening, want to know about me, Wikipedia has an Andrew N. Shearer entry, so you can read wow. all about me. Yeah, that was crazy, right? And then um, Amazon On Demand, I got a movie called Pajama Nightmare. I got a movie called Mondo Gonzo. And I got a movie called Fake Blood. And uh, if you don't want to pay for things, uh, Funny or Die, Gonzorific, YouTube Gonzorific. You can watch, you know, long form short, short form long, bing bong, ding dong, motherfucking ring long. That's what sold me right there, brother. Wow. <laughs> How do I follow that? You don't. I, I don't follow that. No, <laughs> you I call can't. it a day, Mark. I, I, I call it a day. I'm checked in. Uh, just my stuff. I'm all over the interwebs. Uh, uh, but you can, my main channel, uh, YouTube slash Special Mark. Uh, otherwise, you can also find me every Thursday on WeLiveFilm.com. Uh, they were crazy enough to make uh, have me host Horror Thursday segments there. So each week, I do a horror movie and uh, old, new, uh, pretty much the guy who admins it said, "Go ahead, do whatever you want." And I go, "That could be dangerous." Uh, so. Uh, but check it out. It, it's a lot of fun to do those episodes and see the people's reaction. Like when I reviewed a, a Serbian film, and someone actually thought that was pretty impressive that I admitted one that I seen it, and two reviewed it and put it on the Horror Thursday segment, and it actually got some discussion going. So yeah, yeah, it's it's a lot of fun, and it is kind um, of the point of the movie. You yeah, got served. You got served. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, interrupt. Yeah, Twitter too at Movie Maniac 3D. So that's the main stuff. Facebook, you, you can find it. If you find one, you'll find all the other links to it. So you've been served. That's that's. I want a shirt that. I want a shirt that says that. So yeah, everyone, I'm everyone just... always loves my my uh, my Serbian film shirt that I take to conventions to be yeah. as Corey Udler puts it. To be an asshole, um, <laughs> but I would I would almost like a Serbian film. You got served. I would love no, that. dude. Come on, I think they're missing out on a, an opportunity for sequels. I mean, who doesn't want to see a Serbian Christmas right now? Now think about it. Think about it. It's it's a minute long. You want to hear my? You want to hear what Serbian Christmas? Give me, is? Give me your elevator pitch, please. Serbian Christmas goes like this. It's a tree, it's a fireplace, it's a family open presence, it's the nice music. This motherfucker runs in and just fucks and kills everybody, and then it's over. 
And that, my friends, is the 2013 year of Astro Radio Z. We're going to end on that amazing picture right there. So from all of us here to all of you, thank you for tuning in. Come back 2014 where we're going to start out the year talking about some TNA. It's going to be amazing! Get ready! See you later.